Into the Weird, episode 39, Operation Goethe Dammerung. Welcome to Into the Weird, a podcast celebrating the madness and magnificence of the mighty Marvel Bronze Age. I'm your host, Billy D. Alongside me is my co-host, Herman Lowe. How are you, buddy? I'm great. Thanks, Billy, man. I'm sitting here in 1942 in the Kremlin with Joseph Stalin <laughs> drinking some vodka. <laughs> and apparently he wants me to be his body double for some assassination <laughs> attempt from uh, an insane god of thunder later on but we'll see how that goes mm. I, might, I might refuse <laughs> <laughs> depending yeah. on how yeah how much rubles how many rubles he shoves <laughs> into my pockets it all depends <laughs> uh, yeah good luck um yeah it's we've talked about this comic before but i don't know if the previous one was crazier than this one or not they're both equally crazy i think both stories <laughs> Yeah, like specifically we teased, I think, recently on other episodes and maybe even on the previous episode of Into the Weird, for you weirdos out there, that we might talk Invaders again. The Invaders, the classic Roy Thomas series from the mid-1970s there from Marvel, featuring Namor, Cap, the Human Torch, among other Golden Age greats, fighting the Axis powers over in Europe. And we're back because, after all, Billy, it's Mm -hmm. War Comics Month, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. oh yeah november here we are war comics month <laughs> yeah and last time around we did issue 31 which featured that classic encounter with the frankenstein monster or should i say <laughs> a frankenstein monster between cap and you know the torch and namor um and then you know that was one of our favorite discussions i think do you remember that fondly billy mm, yeah that was a fun one with a like you said a certain monster and a his creator being a paraplegic frankenstein with a uh, sweet hot uh asian assistant woman that was hot for him and hot for cap and probably hot for the monster too <laughs> <laughs> oh damn that was some good times yeah i recently mm. re-listened to that you know in preparation for this episode and it was a blast but mm-hmm. it made me realize we i was sparse on the facts there a little bit concerning the origin of the the, the series the invaders so i'm gonna flesh it out a little bit before we get into talking about it specifically 
So we're going to be doing issues 32 and 33, which is literally the next couple of issues. But it doesn't continue the story in any shape or form. This is a completely new story. In fact, this story starts right in the thick of things with a new adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, just to, to flesh it out more, we recently spoke to Roy Thomas and briefly touched on the invaders. But I would have liked to, of course, do a whole you know, interview with him just about the invaders in itself, because you and I were fans, right, Billy? We've been fans of the invaders since we were kids, I guess. Like, just to refresh the listener's memory, like, what, what was your history with mm-hmm. this title, this classic first volume? Well, the invaders for me was, you know, I got into Captain America first. So then when I saw, you know, a comic that had him in it, I was like, hey, I'm all for it because I enjoyed that uh, uh, solo series of his and then uh you know hey world war ii that sucks me into i'm not quite you know a i wouldn't say i'm a historian or anything like that but i do love history and i do love uh cap you know especially when back in world war ii era as well so that suckered me in right away and i think i just got a few random issues you know nothing even consecutive or anything like that but early on i did get that issue that we talked about 31 you know previously because you know it, it, just the cover of that, if you're a fan of Bronze Age comic books or even horror comic books, that's going to pull you in. And that was one of my favorite comics for a long time. Like favorite comics as in any publisher, any genre. I love that one just because of the insanity of it. So that was kind of like my inroads to uh, the invaders. Yeah. How often do you see a Frankenstein monster dressed in full Nazi regalia slapping <laughs> Cap in the face on a cover of a comic book? <laughs> Uh, yeah that comic is out of this world it's crazy it's insane man it's really crazy yeah the the invaders have come with me for a long road um during my comic reading life i should say Uh, there were a couple of issues in the long box i was given when i was a kid that got me into comics but then i didn't pick up any issues for quite some time and then i think i found some back issues of the invaders in a flea market somewhere or at a a, you know, a charity drive or something. You know, my dad was big on that. He was involved in the school system. So they would have these schools from different districts organizing these charity drives where people show up with secondhand stuff and sell it and donate the money to, to organizations that help distribute it to people in need and so forth. So, you know, I was encouraged by my dad to take my old comics there. I never did. I went there to shop for new comics, <laughs> secondhand comics, I should say, but, you know, new to me. And I found mm-hmm. a whole bunch of old inv- Invaders issues there. It must have been like 15 or 16. I can't remember. It was a lot. It was more than 10, definitely. And that filled up uh, a lot of the run for me. Um, and, you know, it, it lasted for 41 issues in an annual. So pretty successful for a Marvel Bronze Age series, I would say. Not the mm-hmm. most successful. It didn't continue over the 100s like Conan the Barbarian did for Roy. But... Uh, People loved it there for a while. And then, of course, it was eventually canceled due to flagging sales and so forth. But, you know, um, it was one of those series that Roy was was offered, not offered, really. He was he was given the chance to do whatever he wanted. And that's where titles like What If came from and also Mm -hmm. The Invaders. And the reason he's given us on the interview and that I've read in subsequent in, in, in previous interviews, I should say, was that he wanted to not be bogged down by continuity. He wanted to write Marvel characters that were set in their own time or in their own worlds or in multiverses, like in What If, where he wouldn't have to constantly, you know, 
liaise with other writers and er editors so that he could get permission to use characters in his own stories. Rather, mm -hmm. he wanted this, his own playground to do stuff in. And that worked for him because uh, I think Conan the Barbarian is a good example of that. He could just oh, yeah. spend all his time on that character's world and fleshing out the personality of Conan. And he doesn't have to worry about constantly raking in other people's uh, characters and storylines like he had to do when he was over on the Avengers or Doctor Strange or even the Fantastic Four that he did thereafter. Stan and Jack were done with that title. So, you know, Billy, I think this was him just saying that, okay, after he gave up the editorship at Marvel and became just a freelance writer again, or he was still under contract with Marvel there as just a writer-editor, this is mm -hmm. when he decided to create series that he would enjoy writing. And the invaders came from that. And of course, uh, it debuted famously in 1975, which we mentioned on the previous time we, we discussed it, alongside Giant Size X-Men, which was the better seller. But the in invaders didn't do badly at all. It was bi-monthly at first and then eventually became a monthly comic as popularity mm -hmm. picked up. And I think, you know, it, it happened because of the two artists. At first, you know, you had... Frank Robbins, and then he was inked by, and you know, Frank Robbins has a very weird style, almost early Kirby, 1940s Kirby-esque style. But I've always loved Frank Robbins' stuff, starting from, you know, what I read of his, uh, The Shadow over at DC in the 70s, when they briefly had that character, uh, when they published that. And again, they would mm, publish right. it later on again, but um, I loved his The Shadow and the way he draws anatomy. And he's also very good on detail especially when you read the Avengers, uh, the invader stuff, I should say, the detail, technical details of things like tanks and aircraft and, you know, all the military equipment of World War II. So he was definitely a draw, but he was also off-putting to some, you know, uh, people sort of 50% split in fandom there, 50% liked him, maybe 50% hated his art style. <laughs> it's like, you know, people also looked at Kirby sometimes. But I've always loved him. And then he was inked by Vince Galetta, doing a pretty damn good job on inking there in the beginning, I think, for seven issues after the series, uh, you know, giant size premiere. And then eventually Frank Springer got on. And that's when the greatness finally happened, I think. Uh, Frank's the two Franks, as we call them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Frank Springer, Frank um, Robbins on art. That was my favorite time but now we're going to be discussing you know i think it happened in issue 29 that roy briefly because he was involved with hollywood he started his screenwriting career so he needed to give up some, some projects he wasn't giving up conan yet but he was giving up other projects such as you know what if and also the invaders so he gave it to his good buddy don glute we're big mm -hmm. fans of don oh yeah <laughs> <We> love him <laughs> yep and then of course a new artist also came on uh, to replace Frank uh, Robbins. Frank Springer was still uh, every now and then inking, but the new artist was Alan Kupperberg, you know, and he had almost mm -hmm. a cleaner style, I, I would say, than Frank Robbins, but he was never my favorite. I still preferred uh, Robbins to Kupperberg, but it, it looked damn good. And we'll see that in these two issues, which is all Kupperberg's art pencils by yeah. him and so forth. And uh, so I didn't mind that. And then eventually... Don Glute, I think Roy came back onto the title because sales were sagging and he didn't like the way, uh, the way or, or the direction in which the stories were going. So Roy came back on to, to write some, some, some of the later issues too, just before 41 there ended the series for good. But 
They had some plans for future storylines. And Roy was sad when it was canceled, but uh, he moved on to bigger and better things after that. So I guess he doesn't look back too often. But in interviews, he speaks nostalgically about his time on the on the Invaders. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I liked the Invaders for a number of reasons, Billy. I, have you read through the entire series by now or are there still some key issues you're, you want to pick up? We'll be back after a quick break. Ever wish you could sip cocktails and discuss great books with your friends while hanging out in a rundown piano bar? Here on the Literary Guys podcast, that's what we do. I'm Dr. Gordon McCallan. And I'm author Zachary Kellyan. Each month, we discuss books from two different views of modern masculinity. From both a gay and a straight perspective. From To Kill a Mockingbird to future governors in the jungle trying to kill a predator. We welcome everyone to join our conversation on the good and toxic of what literature and pop culture have to say about masculinity. So pour yourself a drink and join us now for Season 3. Literary Guys. That's G-U-I-S-E. LiteraryGuys.com. I see what you did there. I'm still probably about 10 issues short of the full run. A couple Mm -hmm. early and a couple late. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, once you get to that, we should do an overview of the entire series. But, you know, I can briefly mention why I really dig this series. I think I've only read through everything in its entirety twice in my life. And that happened because my wife gifted me like three years ago with the two collected volumes of The Invaders that Marvel put out that collects everything. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was the the second time I read through everything. And, um, you know, stuff I like about the series is because, you know, it did introduce some interesting new characters, but it had that core team of Cap, Namor and the Human Torch. And then Bucky was along for the ride as well. And Toro, you know, the Human Torch's sidekick. Uh, but it mm-hmm. introduced new characters like uh, Union Jack mm-hmm. and his sister Spitfire. Oh, and yes. then it also introduced a host of... Uh, World War II super teams other than the Invaders, which were the Liberty Legion, Freedoms Five, um, the Crusaders, and uh, even the Kid Commandos. <laughs> you know, so Roy, <laughs> he loves his World War II stuff. We know that. And he introduced these teams in there. And if you read through the whole run, you encounter them. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the main reason I think I really love everything about the Invaders is the wacky and Sometimes disturbing, but always inventive, right? Believe villains that <laughs> yeah. that featured in the series. I mean, come on, you have Masterman, uh, Baron Blood, and You Man, the face. <laughs> he was a <laughs> wacky villain. And then, of course, Kriegerfrau, the Nazi dominatrix, warrior woman. The girl with the whips and everything. <laughs> That's right. And the Scarlet Scarab. Yeah, the Scarlet Scarab, the whip. Yeah, of course, like you have the Kriegerfrau. Basil Frankenstein, whom we mentioned, and then the Blue Bullet. And then finally, you have this fantastic villainess, which is based off of Milton Kniff's Dragon Lady, uh, Lady Lotus. And then, of course, you have to count Adolf Hitler himself. He'll, he'll feature uh, prominently. Yep. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's, there's no bigger villain in the series. <laughs> That's right. They had encounters with other pre-existing villains, too, of course, like the Red Skull. But mm-hmm. um, those were the new villains I remembered. You know, solely being the invaders' foes, I love them. I love reading about all of them. So, yeah, those are the reasons, basically, why I love the invaders and why it's still fun to remember it. And then, of course, they featured the the entire series featured fantastic covers, and we'll have some mm. great covers during these two. One penciled by Kirby, oh, yeah. of course, 
And uh, yeah, so, you know, all of these good things about the invaders. I mean, both covers we're talking about today is, is penciled by Kirby, I should say. Oh, and that's yeah. very appropriate because he comes from the Golden Age. Mm -hmm. And yeah, um, Thor, his character that he, you know, and Stan brought to the fore in comic book them there in the 60s, he's prominently featured on both these covers. So yeah. in case our listeners hasn't, haven't sussed it out yet, Billy, this will feature the invaders battling Thor during World <laughs> War II. And unfortunately, <laughs> Thor is on the side of the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see it right there prominently on uh, the cover to issue 32. It's not a bait and switch here, not a hoax. This really happens. <laughs> That's right. And I remember as a kid, this disturbed me mightily. <laughs> Because you know, my dad was a historian, he loved history, and he would impress upon me the horrors of the Nazi regime, even when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. You know, he would often tell me stories from history. And um, I was very disturbed by this, this comic, because I had it as a, as a little kid, by these two. And then, of course, I was disturbed by that All-Star Squadron issue 35 featuring, um, uh, you know, that's over at DC, also written by Roy, where Captain Marvel is an enemy uh you know oh, yeah. works with the third reich known as the hauptmann wunder <laughs> so <laughs> we'll 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 get to that soon on our other show we're almost that's there right. That's <laughs> right but it's disturbing when the nazis turn these characters you admire to their side especially since it seems as if it's possible that they could you know with thor being very nordic and uh aryan looking at least that's hitler's ideal probably not the scandinavian people's ideal well not, not all of them, but, you know, mm -hmm. that's the kind of people he admires, you know, people like Captain Marvel and, and Thor. So if he turns them to his side, it's, it's very upsetting. So uh, mm -hmm. the stakes are high, but this comic is also filled with fun, even though it deals with some serious subject matter. So, Billy, let's get into this. Um, can you give the specs for issue 32? And then you also give the synopsis and then I'll handle the next mm -hmm. issue. Absolutely, my friend. So, yeah, this is, uh, like we said, The Invaders number 32. Uh, cover date was September 1978. And then, again, you had mentioned, too, what a great cover here. We have uh, Joe, uh, I'm sorry, Jack Kirby and Joe Sinnott, you know, the uh, old uh, Ooh, classic Fantastic Four team there on That's the cover right. here. And then writer-editor Roy Thomas, illustrators uh, Alan Kupperberg and Frank Springer, letters by Joe Rosen, and colorist Carl Gafford. So, yeah, really good team here. Like you said, you know, it's uh, you, you've had some different creators on this, but Roy's here in uh, full, uh, <laughs> full, uh, full powers. Full the full Roy full. mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He's, he's there. He's here at the full press uh, of his powers. He's got everything working for him here. Yeah. And again, he, he wanted always to do World War II stuff. We know this from things he's written, interviews he's done. He's always had Golden Age stuff in the back of his brain cooking in. So it was no, uh, no big surprise that he started this, you know, because he wasn't at DC, so he couldn't do the JSA. So he did the next best thing that he could at the time, which was, you know, the invaders from World War II started That's this right. team. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is, um, I remember the, the, these two comics, I sometimes uh, tried to pawn them off to my friends to read so that I could have some folks to discuss them with. And they would not enjoy it at all. They, they hated this. They would prefer. Wow. Well, other comics. Yeah, I don't know why was it the oh, art crap. that put it off, but they just didn't like it. And I guess it's just because they weren't history buffs or because they didn't. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it must have been the art, too. But uh, I like this kind of art style. You know, it's definitely in the vein of Frank Robbins, even though it's not Frank. 
but yeah, Alan I mean, sort of has a similar style. What would you say? Yeah, he does a little bit, but listen to me. It don't you don't need people like that in your life. Cut them yeah, off. <laughs> I have. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> yeah, those, those guys will never make a reappearance in the life of Herman Lowe. Don't nope. you fret, my friend. Yep. I'm having that kind of negativity. Better friends nowadays, you know. <laughs> you know who I'm referring to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. So anyhow, Mr. B, what do you All have right. for us? Yeah. I'll get right into it here. So as our heroes reunite after the Frankenstein saga, three experimental tanks smash their way out of a depot. The invaders and the general suspect sabotage, and they are correct. The team then begins to dismantle the tanks. But the general warns them that they need to spare at least one, as it's been promised to the Russian army to help against the Nazis. After they quell the saboteurs, they begin their trek to Russia with the tank. Meanwhile, in Germany, Uncle Adolf and his generals are watching an opera. They speak of a god of thunder, and the generals say it is a myth, but Adolf tells them they are wrong. They then head to a secret base where two scientists use a device to bring none other than the mighty Thor to this plane. After some subterfuge by Hitler, Thor agrees to go to Russia and stop the invaders. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you think? <laughs> no, it's, it's amazing. It's great. I love the fact that they work in, you know, the his, well, it's, it's well known that Hitler was a big fan of Richard Wagner's um, cycle, you know, that opera cycle of four, uh, stories called Gotterdammerung, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's like a music drama that Richard Wagner wrote in, in yeah. 1876. Um, well, it's the last part, at least the Gotterdammerung that was his favorite, which is the, the, the last of the four music dramas. And it's mm-hmm. also, I mean, that part is titled uh, The Ring of the Nibelung, which Roy Thomas yep. was a big fan of because he went mm-hmm. on to, to do a full adaptation of that with Gil Kane in the 80s, I think it was. Um, which was not bad Kane, you know, I, 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 no. you know, I not, don't always enjoy Kane's interiors, but I, sometimes I do. And that was really fantastic art. That was, Gil mm. Kane. I think he had a lot of time. He wasn't on deadlines. He always met deadlines, but you know what I mean? He, when you give an artist more time, they're going to use that time usually mm-hmm. to, to flesh out whatever they've been doing. And he created a masterpiece yeah. there. I'm pretty yeah, pretty impressed by that. But you know, oh, Roy, yeah. in fact, tried to adapt the story of Gotterdammerung, the Ring of the Nibelung, in the very first arc involving the invaders' uh, you know commencement of their series right after that giant-sized issue. Do you remember that, Billy? Where mm-hmm. the Donar, the Teutonic gods, and uh, were mm-hmm. featured, and they were revealed to be aliens <laughs> rather than actual <laughs> gods. So here, though, mm-hmm. we're going to be dealing with the real thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the real Asgardians. Well, so, Thor, yeah, I love it. I think doesn't Roy also like kind of weave some of that into the Thor Eternal Saga story there? I think yes. he does. Yes. yes, he does. Yeah, he does. yeah that's he a does. that's a we got to talk about that sometime. That's a crazy story. All that that'll take forever to talk about. Yeah, Good it grief. would. It would have been. We, a, we were thinking of talking some Eternals and Thor during you know this time because the movie's out, but it it would have been disingenuous, right, Billy? Because you and I haven't, yeah, we haven't seen, seen the a movie. movie. And also yeah. we, you know, I haven't, it'll take a while to do the research to do that entire series because it's a long story arc involving Thor and the Eternals and like that's you say, some two, aspects. Mm. Yeah, that's two decent sized trades. I mean, they're not like, you know, huge trade, but they're decent sized trades that encompass that storyline. So yeah, that's going to take a while. Yeah, but we'll definitely get to that because there's some mm-hmm. 
loony stuff. Some, some crazy, <laughs> oh, wacky, yeah. weird, into the weird type lunacy over there. Mm-hmm. Gotta get to that. So, mm-hmm. Billy, no, I, long, long, you know, explanation cut short. I just want to say that I love this first issue. I especially love it that Adolf Hitler is back as a villain. I mean, this is right after he's probably nursing his jaw from being sucked by Captain America <laughs> <laughs> during the Golden Age, but it's recent, of course, in this storyline. And uh, also, um, it features the invaders that I like, which is Cap, you know, Namor, and then, of course, the Torch. Torch. I don't say I don't like Bucky and Toro, but I'm, I don't, you know, normally I don't uh, care for too many invaders along for the ride, unless there's Spitfire mm. and the Union Jack. Spitfire and the Union Jack, they serve a purpose. Spitfire is the, the lone female on the team. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, of course, she's Jacqueline Falseworth, whereas her brother is uh, Union Jack. He's um, Lord Falseworth now since his dad died, Brian. Well, his name's also Brian, like, you know, um, yeah. Uh, Captain Britain would be called much later, uh, mm-hmm. Brian Braddock. But this is Brian Falsworth, and he comes from that classic storyline. I think it was Invader Seven and Eight, um, where Baron Blood, who's oh, his yeah. uncle, technically, you know, related to Lars Falsworth, there, the brother. Uh, mm-hmm. He, the first Union Jack, would have, was of course his dad. So this is technically Union Jack Two, and mm-hmm. um, uh, his sister Jacqueline Falsworth was kidnapped by Baron Blood, and then. Uh, she uh, well, she was eventually bitten by Baron Blood, and then mm-hmm. in order to recover in the hospital after the invaders saved her, and after her dad had been crippled by Baron Blood before Baron Blood was impaled on a stalag, you know, uh, um, st- what was it, a stalagmite? Uh, mm-hmm. Then she was recovering in the hospital, but not doing well, and so the Human Torch transferred some of his android blood into her, and somehow <laughs> the vampiric virus or enzyme if you want to do a morbius analogy here, mm, <laughs> mixed with the android blood to give her super speed and initially that was thought to be the reason she got this, this vampiric speed but but much faster than your regular vampire vampire but it also turned out no she was actually a latent mutant and that yeah. those you know the combination of, of chemicals and eldritch power in her blood just merely jump-started her mutation so she became a speedster um, she can run in excess of the speed of sound. She has a, a healing factor because of her rapid metabolism. So she's pretty interesting character. I like her as a part mm-hmm. of the defenders. And then I, I like a non-powered character. Technically, Captain America could be considered such, but I don't really like to think of him like that. He's got the super soldier serum. Uh, Union Jack, her brother, who took up his dad's mantle because his dad was prominently a superhero in World War I as a spy, right? Believe the original right. Union Jack. So now yeah. Brian, the younger son, he's taking up the mantle of uh, his father's superhero alter ego. And I, I like him. I just don't like the fact that he's much like Roy would re- later write the Atom over in the All-Star Squadron at DC, where he's constantly downplaying his abilities and he's got low self-esteem and he says that oh i'm the only non-powered member of the team when this adventure is done i'm quitting (laughs) (laughs) well don't quit yet brian because something's gonna happen to you at the end of this arc (laughs) Uh so billy let's talk about let's talk about the cover first like this cover by kirby is amazing the next one's my favorite but this one is just classic kirby what do you think Oh, yeah, I love this one. I mean, you can tell it's Kirby right away just from uh, Hitler and Thor, the way they look and their faces are and stuff like that in the pose. And I like this one quite a bit. It's got 
you know, Thor standing on top of a Nazi symbol mm. and Adolf there, you know, shouting about how he's, you know, got the ultimate warrior on his side, Thor, the God of Thunder. And then we see in the background the, uh, the invaders, you know, smashing through a wall, you know, and they're just like, uh oh, <laughs> I really like this cover quite a bit. And I do like when there's some yellow on covers, too. So I yeah. really like this one. Great color scheme there. Yeah, the yellow is all his lightning, presumably illuminating mm-hmm. the name of the, the, the title there, the invaders, the greatest superheroes mm-hmm. in World War II, but they're, it's ringed by Thor's lightning. And then Hitler and he looks, looks pissed. <laughs> yeah, he looks really angry. He looks murderous, which he is, in fact, in this <laughs> issue. He is murderous. Mortal mm-hmm. lives don't mean as much to him at this point in time as I think they will later on, 20 years hence, when he returns to the Marvel U. But this is surprising, Billy, this whole arc, because there's also another appearance by a famous Marvel character, which I'm not going to mention. I'm just going <laughs> to tease it, but I'm gonna, not going to mention that in my synopsis. At the very end, when the story wraps up, we'll reveal who mm-hmm. this person actually is. And it's a doozy. Just wait for mm-hmm. it. Uh, you weird legionnaires out there, you'll be impressed by who else shows yeah. up in this comic. It and, could um, be yeah. It could be a Marvel character, or it could be a... a, a a crossover between uh, Marvel and DC. We'll we'll get to that though here. Oh yeah, <laughs> I know. Oh, you went there right, fresh <laughs> off of your recent discussion of my greatest adventure with Mister Hicks. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> interesting, Billy. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. So then we we cut to the opening page, and I love the 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 title of the story in here, which is Thunder in the East. Mm-hmm. Now, when they're talking about East here, they're referring to Eastern Europe and to you right. know, f- even further than that, which we're, when we head into Russia. But it starts, yeah. like you say, with these Achilles tanks, three of them being hijacked by these Nazi spies who were sent yeah. to, to either steal or destroy these tanks. Probably s- destroy or, or sabotage, because after all, how would they get them from, from British soil back to, you know, Germany? They wouldn't. But yeah. they don't want the Allies to have them either, these prototype indestructible tanks. And mm-hmm. then the invaders have to, of course, make a decision. They either have to get these Nazis out of these tanks, which proved difficult since they're super strong, mm-hmm. um, or they have to destroy the tanks. And of course, Namor and the Torch, well, not the Torch so much, but Namor, he opts for the latter option. He's just going to go all destructive and wreck this tank. And so, you know, that's what happens, right, Billy? Namor, mm-hmm. even the Achilles tank, proves no match for Namor's strength but then namor he shows himself to be in this issue at least the mvp of of what's happening here and involving the scheme to get the tanks by the nazis you know he's got some kind of spatial awareness of whatever is present in the water nearby so it seems that the nazis did have a way (laughs) to to ferry these tanks across the the ocean now this would not have been practical in a normal World War II scenarios set in the real world because you no. won't have a U-boat being capable of transporting three tanks. It's just impossible. But here in this story, <laughs> no. that's exactly what they've got <laughs> waiting for them, you know, somewhere off the coast. Now, what does Namor do? Which is quite incredible here. Yeah, I mean, after the general's like, okay, idiots, like we need at least one, you know, preferably to all three of these tanks to give to Russia to help against the Nazis over on the Russian front there. And Subby's just like, yeah, that's nice. And he just rips the tank like <laughs> apart and it picks it up. And as he chucks it, one of the saboteurs falls out from probably 50 feet in the air. So he's dead. 
and he chucks it right at the uh, U-boat <laughs> waiting yeah. in the waters nearby, and it explodes. <laughs> yeah, the U-boat is total. The entire crew is dead. This is definitely World War II era Golden Age submariner where he's murderous. He just kills willy mm-hmm. nilly. But in this case, it's warranted. Of course, it's war. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But I love Subby's dialogue here. He's just the one of my favorite characters. The submariner Achilles tanks ha, and then he rips it up. Rip Shrek. These have nothing in common with any part of that invulnerable warrior, referring to Achilles here. Uh-huh. And then the German guy who's, who's being torn out of the tank like a, a beetle shell who's cracking here says, Donner Vetter. <laughs> and then, you know, um, Namor says, This tank's got nothing in common with Achilles, except perhaps his heel. <laughs> Vulnerable <laughs> heel. Great. Yeah, what a great panel there when a, the tank hits the U boat, though. That is awesome. Yeah, now think how powerful Crunch. Namor has to be to hurl this tank well, kilometers right, and mm-hmm. uh, still manages to target the submarine, which which is explained as saying Namor has this unique uh spatial of awareness of where things are in the ocean, and mm-hmm. he detected some uh, unusual aspect on the ocean surface that showed him that there's a U-boat fighting <laughs> over there. And that's why he hurled it in that direction. Yeah. But, you know, some of the guys do survive, though, from that wreck. A couple of them, yeah. yeah a couple mm-hmm. of them. And then they're picked up by the Royal Navy. But basically, I mean, come on, that they were underwater at the time, or at least half submerged. You know, they're, they're obviously the top part of their submarine was visible, but, mm-hmm. you know, that had completely, there was an explosion, <laughs> you know, it'd been torn open. Well, hey, maybe oh. you never know. Maybe these uh, Royal Navy guys just gun them down instead of uh, helping them aboard. <laughs> that could happen too. That could happen. You never know, man. You know, mm-hmm. blood was running high back then. You know, so mm-hmm. then we've got the Union Jack also taking out his tank with an explosive device, which he p- kind of sticks into this ventilation aperture. Which means that the mm-hmm. tanks aren't all that invulnerable, aren't they? They've all got weak spots here. Even a normal guy like the Union Jack could take them out. And blows it up, yeah. He blows it up, and he's rescued just in time by his sister Spitfire, who super speeds him away. He cut mm-hmm. it a little bit close there, and she scolds him for that. But then, speaking about scolding, the general is <laughs> enraged. Mm-hmm. And Captain America almost slinks away after the general scolds them for destroying these tanks. We've only got one left. Our sole remaining Achilles tank. You know, mm-hmm. and, and even Namor apologizes to this rush to this general, and the general says, "Apologies won't help the Russian front." <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, he's pissed. Look how yeah. the, the 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 three invaders slink away. Look at Namor; his arms folded behind <laughs> his back, Cap's shoulders are slumped. They're walking in, mm-hmm. into this moonlit night after this after being castigated by this general. <laughs> mm, yeah, they are they are completely undressed by him and not. A sexual way <laughs> <laughs> well namor he doesn't need much undressing does he? he's already halfway there but his speedo yeah <laughs> yeah oh it's classic but then you know um Gross. they're given a second mission they now have to ferry the sole remaining tank directly mm-hmm. to the russians and uh, namor has to do this using his imperial atlantean flagship which is sort of this jet craft that can you know speed through <laughs> the the waters as easily as it can through the atmosphere Mm, and we touched on that lightly when we uh, talked about uh, the Invaders issue 31 as well and how uh, Namor is very sensitive about what you say about his ship. Somebody made fun of his ship and he almost broke their neck. That's right. That's right. Exactly. It's it is weird looking ship. That's, that's really like, weird what? looking. It's like <laughs> a cross between 
some kind of a flying fish and a you know regular jet. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it almost reminds me of that one of those ships you saw from outer space when uh, you know the X Men were out in outer space and uh, Cyclops' oh, you mean the dad. Oh, oh, yeah, she are. Yeah. yeah, one of those guys, something like that. Yeah, there. you're right. You're right. Yeah, it does very much. Yeah, they have those weird fin like ships, mm-hmm. yeah. which, which sport these fins on its side. It's it's strange. Mm. I think it's she are technology most of the time. And here we go with Uncle Adolf at the opera. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, the star jammers, they might have had something to do with Namor's technology. Who knows? Maybe you know, uh, because we've got so many people from the future visiting the past. The, the you know, who knows? <laughs> but, yeah, but still uh, interesting that you, you made that parallel because this is, I think, just before that story arc in X Men. So who knows? The artist, you know, Dave Cocker might have been inspired by some of this technology, right, Billy? But mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's cut to this opera now. Hitler <laughs> was a real life fan, of course, of this opera, mm-hmm. and then one of his aides and generals. He says he not doesn't challenge Hitler, but he comments on the fact that uh, it's just a story. And the, this is a great line. They're whispering during the opera as it concludes. And uh, this singer is singing, this operatic singer, horror, horror. They all have murdered my Siegfried. Of course, referring <laughs> to the, the hero Siegfried, they're dying. And then mm-hmm. Hitler, who's been discussing his Nordic ancestors with this general, says, now be quiet until the end. And I will show you something that will astonish you. And the aide or the general <laughs> says, Jawohl, mein Führer. And what does he think there, Billy? Yeah, he thinks to himself, madman. Madman. <laughs> yeah. And we do know, like, you know this as well as I do. You don't have to be a super historian to know this, that there were some people within uh, Hitler's uh, hierarchy that thought he was a nut. Oh, they just yeah. didn't have the balls to challenge him. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Most notably, mm-hmm. probably Rommel, General Rommel, but also some of his closer Compatriots mm-hmm. uh, there and uh, lackeys, they were worried there at the very end. They saw he was completely off the mm-hmm. rails and mm-hmm. things were just going badly. But you know, then we have uh, Hitler, uh, Roy <laughs> there, here having Hitler criticizing himself, although Hitler doesn't see this as criticism because when he speaks to this general, he says, You have often heard me say, Herr General, that I felt Wagner wrote his divine music as echoes from another world, which he heard. Now, that's sort of almost a direct quote from Hitler there, you know, echoes from another mm-hmm. world being, you know, that he dis- discussed Wagner's, you know, source material to actually have been probably real. And mm-hmm. he says, lesser men cannot hear this. But the aide says, I thought you only spoke in a metaphor, mein Führer. And then Hitler says, nein, I always mean precisely what I say, except naturally when I am discussing treaties. Now, this refers to the <laughs> treaty he had with mm-hmm. both Britain and Russia. Not the same treaty, two separate treaties that he would not attack Poland, that mm-hmm. he would not be aggressive to other European countries, and that he would, in fact, not invade Russia. And he broke both of those treaties. <laughs> so this is, you know, Roy <laughs> referring to that and showing <laughs> what a bastard Hitler really was, how he broke his promises to, to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I so, like that. And then the next the next panel, he goes on to say, the world of which Wagner wrote, the world of Teutonic gods and beauteous Valkyries is as real as our own. It truly exists, and Wagner alone knew of it till now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's, of course, got this science project on the side that he wants to show mm-hmm. his, to this general to prove him wrong or to at least uh, you know throw it back in his face that he would dare challenge the Fuhrer's ideas. 
But then he's also informed by another general that things are going badly in Russia and their mm-hmm. men are suffering. And then he says, I've got a plan that would you know, help out our men on the Russian front. Not that they should need it, but. Uh, and then he refers to Donar from Invaders number one and two there. The Teutonic mm-hmm. stand in for Thor, but it was that alien, like I mentioned during that first Nibelung. Yeah story arc there in invaders and um the entity brain drain (laughs) 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 that alien and so Mm -hmm. they go into the secret park of the right part of the reich's chancellery where hitler's got the science project set up by this swedish doctor olsen or he's a scandinavian Mm -hmm. called dr olsen i'm sorry he's norwegian yeah he's norwegian and um they're not focused on the false donor this time they've actually this doctor olsen has the technology that he perfected to open up a dimensional gateway to the actual asgard to asgard there or to any of the nine worlds it seems and he can also sh- throw it up on a screen mm-hmm. he can project what what the dimensional gateway is tracking and what do they see on the very next page billy who are they focusing on here yeah we see thor and he's swinging mjolnir around and beating the crap out of some like trolls and creatures and you know stuff you would see him get into wars with on uh on asgard and other the other nine realms yeah this is him defending asgard as is his want his his duty what odin has charged him with and uh mm-hmm. he decides let's go ahead and just kidnap him you know just <laughs> use your machine dr olsen now dr olsen is assisted by this bandaged assistant called hans yeah <laughs> and he is going to be a fascinating addition to the story mm-hmm. later on but right right now he's present he's just mm-hmm. basically his scientific assistant at this point in time and dr olsen is not a man in good health it seems that he's being mm-hmm. corralled and forced to help the nazis and this has affected his health but he's also an old man he's got a heart trouble right billy Mm-hmm. Yeah. So on the very next page, the gateway is opened and they snatch Thor from Asgard and deposit him right there in the Reich's Chancellery in Berlin. <laughs> and Thor is not <laughs> happy, man. What, what does he say there? Yeah, right away when he appears into this, he says, what place uh, is this? And who hath dared draw the thunder god here from the midst of battle against the foes of Adgar, Asgard? Speak, mortals. For such I see ye be, speak or face the wrath of Thor. And he's ready to like go nuts on all of them. And, you know, Hitler thinks, gotta, I got to think faster and calm him down. <laughs> exactly. Now, this is funny. Roy sort of deals with this problem of language and translation. Like, how would they be able to understand Thor? How could he just miraculously speak German or Norwegian mm-hmm. for that matter, or even English? It seems yeah. that Thor has an enchantment either on his hammer or on his person a bit of Asgardian magic there, which makes people who hear him uh, intuitively understand what he's saying. So at first, Dr. Olsen thinks he's speaking perfect Norwegian and he comments on that and says, how strange. And then Hitler says, nein, I'm hearing the German. He speaks perfect German. (laughs) But now I understand it must be his, you know, godlike magic. Something like that, right, Billy? And Roy, Mm -hmm. I think that's fine because when you're dealing with a story with magic, why not just use magic to explain away any of these little you know, plot uh, shenanigans yeah. that you have got going yeah. on. So everybody understands <laughs> Thor because magic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you can always pull that out when you're talking about, you know, Thor and Asgard and all that stuff. And it, it's okay. It works okay. It's not a problem. Yeah, not a problem for me. And then mm-hmm. Thor gets angry because Hitler says he brought him here to serve him. And Thor doesn't like that word at all. So he 
swings at Hitler and Hitler dives away in a comical <laughs> fashion there. And he misses Hitler, but manages to wing the, the dimensional transport machine and it completely totals it. So now Thor mm-hmm. has to stay. He has no choice but to hang out for a while while they repair the machine, which would take days. Yeah. And then Hitler uses what many consider to be his, his power that he had over men, which was his fantastic way with words. And this is actually true. He was not an unintelligent guy. He was, in fact, extremely intelligent, but he was a mm-hmm. reprehensible human being, nevertheless. But he mm-hmm. had this amazing way with words. He even once talked himself out of a death sentence when, you know, after the first uprising there in the early 1920s, where the Nazi party tried to forcibly seize control of the German government, they were all yeah. arrested. And Hitler then at his trial, because he's a traitor to the state, traitor to the, to, to, uh, you know, the, the country, he was going to be sentenced to go to the firing squad. But then he talked his way out of that by mm-hmm. defending himself in court, right, Billy? And that in itself yeah. is, is staggering if you think about it. And then they only gave him a five-year sentence mm-hmm. uh, in jail. So uh, then, of course, if you just listen to his speeches online or the translated versions of it, or you see how he sw- whipped up the crowd there, Mm-hmm. With his nationalist fervor, you can see that this is definitely one of his superpowers, if you want to put this in a <laughs> context. So he uses that on Thor and convinces Thor that there are enemies of the Nordic people, the people who once <laughs> worshipped the, Vi- the the people who once worshipped the Asgardian gods. And similar to mm-hmm. the Vikings, Hitler loved to compare himself that he was a Viking, you know, in ancestry and so forth. So... <laughs> He loved that kind of stuff. So he shows uh, some film footage here, motion pictures, which amazes Thor. This, right. uh, with this, these, these motion pictures in black and white, soundless of the war and how it's going in Russia, and then also of the invaders. And he describes them as evildoers who are intent upon destroying the Nordic races. And so Thor agrees. He will assassinate Joseph Stalin, who Hitler identified as the leader. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. oh, yeah. of the slavic peoples and then or, or who also... some call reds <laughs> yeah 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 he calls He's them reds and then the thor yeah what's his reasoning there behind the word reds <laughs> oh i love it thor red it hath ever been a color of war of danger of death itself <laughs> so i guess anybody in a red shirt look out you're done and then thor exactly man he says because they're red they are naturally evil and he says tell me what i may do to help this holy reich that is thine (laughs) now he's calling it holy because uh, hitler says he's technically worshiping the asgardian god still right so Mm -hmm. it's holy for thor and um then you know they head off and you can see dr olsen he's reluctant he's unwilling to go along with this yeah. so he thinks to himself what have i gotten myself into i mm-hmm. i'm a wretched man because i've helped this madman uh, mm-hmm. to further his scheme to conquer the world but then as they head towards hitler's what would you call a trophy room hitler yeah. has this brief instance where he glances at this scepter which is in this glass mm-hmm. case now this is a storyline roy set up for later issues but it never came to fruition Nothing was right. ever done with the scepter, Billy. Yeah, maybe it was something because, you know, after the series got canceled, you know, if he would have ran for 10 more issues, maybe it would have entered in or something. Who knows? 
Now, the interesting thing is Roy has been asked about this in interviews about the scepter, mm-hmm. and he says he can't remember what he had planned for it, unfortunately. <laughs> so, but it's definitely something in line with you know, the Spear of Destiny. Hitler, the, the Nazis there had a, and you see that in the Hellboy comics too, where they collect these artifacts yeah. that are tied to old world myths and presumably have occult power. The Nazis had a real interest in the occult. Yeah. And they were up for exploring all avenues of science, of mysticism, anything that could give them an edge. Mm-hmm. So that's a plot line that was never resolved there, featuring the scepter that Hitler glanced at. But then we cut to the invaders. Now they're flying over Russia, and this is basically scorched earth here, right, Billy? And most yeah. of it's not done by the Nazis. It's done by the fleeing Russian soldiers and the population who's not leaving anything behind for the Nazis to, to eat or to... Mm-hmm to help them along or anything yeah yeah. nothing and then we see them approaching this train that stalin's on ferrying him towards the russian capital and it's being attacked this train by this uh nazi well uh, you know aircraft uh the Mm -hmm. stuka it could be a stuka dive bomber i'm not quite sure it's not i mean even though we did say that frank uh robbins was good on the technical aspects of war this is not drawn clearly so I think it's 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 probably a Messerschmitt, but it looks like it could be a Stuka as well, uh, minus mm-hmm. its uh, you know bomb. Uh, and then you know Neymar's craft is of course superior. They're flying rings around this, but rather than blasting out of the sky, Neymar says he's not able to do that because since they flew in sub-zero temperatures, the hydro cannons that his flagship sports are frozen and need to thaw out. Yeah, before they can actually you know, help to blow this thing out of the sky. So then rather than send out the flyers like the torch or Namor himself to deal with this Nazi plane, who do they send Billy? <laughs> or who volunteers? <laughs> yeah, we, yeah. A cap and the union Jack volunteer and just jump right out of his plane onto the German plane. And it's funny. Just start ripping into it. Lieber got says the pilot <laughs> union Jack. Now, Jerry, suppose you just release the controls or we'll toss you out and take it down ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Union Jack has been feeling useless, so that's why Cap brought him along to mm-hmm. alleviate his sense of uh, worth here, his sense of worthlessness, I should say. And then they, mm-hmm. Namor does eventually show up along with the torch, and he uses his his strength to carry this plane down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then who is it? Uh, Union Jack commenting on the fact that he doesn't understand how this works. Namor, with those little ankle wings, can hold aloft this. Giant plane, multiple tons (laughs) with just one hand, and then Cap says, "Well, technically, bees—you know—zoologists have studied bees and concluded that bees shouldn't be able to fly. So we just go with it. Don't ask for explanations, Mister. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. It'll just confuse you. So nobody Mm -hmm. really knows, but it's true, right, Billy? How can those little ankle wings hold up this this immense (laughs) weight?" I mean, this yeah, has got really. nothing to do with Namor's strength. I mean, unless it's only the strength of the ankle wings. <laughs> uh, so yeah, who knows? They meet. We meet Joseph Stalin here for the very first time, <laughs> and um, you know, as we know now, the, the invader should have just let Thor assassinate him because. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, thanks, Subby. Appreciate that, buddy. <laughs> in many ways, he's almost worse than Hitler. Yeah, but so Oof, they're allies at pretty, this point. Pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah. He was a, a one of the worst figures. Uh, oh my god! I'd say Mao from China is just slightly wor- worse than Hitler and Stalin because he has a larger body count. And so you know, uh, then an- another plane 
shows up uh, mm-hmm. dropping a oh human bomb or a human <laughs> torpedo. And who is this human torpedo showing up to? Because the train hasn't stopped. Stalin's mm-hmm. ready to talk to the invaders here because Namor is the one who speaks Russian and they're going to deliver the Achilles tank, which is still strapped to the bottom of Namor's Imperial flagship. But before they can do that, while this train is uh, on a, at a standstill and Stalin is in full view, they're talking to the, going to talk to the invaders. Who shows up? Yeah, Cap sees somebody jumping out and he says, that fellow's got no parachute, but seems to be controlling his fall somehow. And then, stand ye back, villains, Thor hath come to slay the eastern tyrant, and none shall say him nay. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's Thor. Thor's here to assassinate Mm -hmm. Stalin, but he's confronted by the invaders who he's been warned about, so he's more than willing Mm -hmm. to kill them. But first he plays a little bit, patty cake with them a little bit, right, Billy? He, because he... Uh, discerns that the invaders are noble warriors, but we'll get into that in the next issue. But yeah, the invaders mm-hmm. at their full might, they won't be able to stand against the God of Thunder. We know that. I mean, Namor could possibly take on Thor, but it's ha- it has happened multiple times in comics and Namor's always lost or he's always m- mentioned that he couldn't stand for long against the God of Thunder, especially since the longer he remains out of water the weaker he becomes. So possibly, of course, Namor could take Thor if they were battling underwater, but that won't happen often. No. So you know that the invaders are in for a bad time here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Billy, we'll head into the next issue, which is, of course, Invaders issue 33 and the cover, again, penciled by Jack Kirby. This time, though, inked by mm. Dave Cockrum. And you can see mm-hmm. definitely some Cockrum there. Oh, yeah. Uh, in some of the faces and in the backgrounds there, but it's more Kirby yes. than Cockrum, though. Yeah, Cap to me that definitely doesn't look Kirby. You That's know, right. Spitfire, right. even yeah, they they there's definitely a, a a pretty noticeable difference between the two inkers for sure. That's right. That's right. So cover dated October 1978, but on sale July 18th, 1978, and the cover price was 35 cents. Page count 32. Edited by Roy himself. And the title's great, A Time of Titans. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. you have uh, writer Roy Thomas, penciled by Alan Kupperberg, inked by Frank Springer, lettered by Joseph Rosen, colored by George Russos. The previous colorist, of course, on issue 32 was Carl Gafford. Mm-hmm. But uh, the rest of the creative team is basically the same. Mm-hmm. And of course, you can find all of these issues that we're discussing, listeners. If you don't have them, you can find them on the Marvel app or you can find them in the collections that Marvel has recently put out. They've yet to put out an Invaders Omnibus, which mm. they haven't done yet. But Interesting. So it's never been collected in hardcover, never been collected in the Masterworks. But they do have the trade paperbacks and then they've got these two ultimate collections, uh, the complete yeah. collections, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah so yeah. yeah. synopsis here is as follows. In Russia, the invaders are confronted by Thor, who is intent on assassinating Russian Premier Joseph Stalin. Presently aboard a train, Namor, or sorry, Thor briefly battles the invaders, proving too much for them, before Namor flies Stalin to safety aboard his Imperial Atlantean jetcraft. Thor then contacts Hitler and reports his failure, but becomes incensed when the Fuhrer deigns to call the son of Odin a Doomkopf. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dr. Olsen and his mysterious bandaged assistant Hans muse on Hitler's madness as Herr Schickelgruber reveals his plans to bring an army of Asgardian gods and monsters to to Earth via Olsen's dimensional transporter. Dr. Olsen suffers a heart attack, forcing Hitler 
to command Hans to operate the machine. Hans reveals his true identity to the readers via thought bubble and holy cats, is it a shocker? <laughs> Needless to say, he has his own plans for Dr. Olsen's equipment. The invaders confront Thor at the Kremlin, but he easily breaks through their ranks, blasting Joseph Stalin to kingdom come with a lightning bolt. While these events are occurring in Russia, Hans modifies Dr. Olsen's machine in Berlin to allow Thor to hear what is happening in Hitler's Reichschancellery, where the dictator rants and raves about his plans to infest the earth with all manner of monsters from the nine worlds. Thor realizes that he's been played and absorbs the lightning from the prostrate form of his victim Stalin, who is in fact revealed to be well, um, should I spoil that? I'm not going to spoil that either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we Meanwhile, two, two, two doozies at the end here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Two doozies. I'm going to leave both for our <laughs> listeners to, to lap up later. All right. So uh, to continue with the synopsis, which is almost done. In Berlin, Hitler is about to summon these monstrous hordes with the dimensional transporter. But Hans overloads the machine, causing an explosion buried in the rubble. Hitler is shocked to see Hans standing over him. Hans revealed who he truly is to the fearful Führer, saying that he has learned all he can from this adventure and must take his leave. Before he goes, though, he states that he will enjoy observing Hitler's eventual fall at the hands of a wrathful humanity. Back in Russia, Thor bids farewell to the invaders and returns to Asgard, leaving Cap and Namor to wonder whether they'll ever meet the God of Thunder again. Mm -hmm. Right, so I forgot to mention in the synopsis that the reason why Hans has to take over the machine is because what we mentioned earlier, Dr. Olsen's heart, mm. it, uh, it gives out during the process. Yeah. So Hans had to take over there. But still, yeah. yeah, interesting way that the story plays out, right, Billy? Especially with the mm -hmm. two reveals, which we'll talk about <laughs> later. And, it, and it'll turn out that during this last arc or this last tale that wraps up the story, Old Brian Falsworth, the Union Jack, is not as useless as he presented himself to be, right? Mm -hmm. So what did you think about this cover, first of all? But we already briefly mentioned it's Cockrum and Kirby, and you say you love some of the faces there. But I love the fact that it's Namor versus Thor. And I think yes. this might be one of the very first covers. This is not the first con confrontation between Namor and Thor in Marvel. But I think it might be the, one of the first covers that feature Namor versus Thor. I'm not quite sure on that fact. Hmm. I'll have to check on that. Maybe some of our listeners can chime in, but I'm almost sure that that, that that is the case. Yeah. And I think, see, this is what happens when you try to do these uh, giant stories. I mean, when, when you and I talk all-star squadron, Roy basically went back to the original stories of a lot of those characters and tried to, you know, uh, Try to make it as close to keeping within continuity as he could. But with this story, you, you just can't. So I, if I'm not mistaken, I think this was retconned to not be Thor in this because, you know, Submariner, that means he would have met Thor and all these characters would have met Thor back in 1942. Well, then why were they like surprised to meet him in the 60s? You know what I mean? So it, it, that's a really tough thing to do here. But mm, mm, like, mm. like you said, Thor versus Subby is awesome. The two of them punching each other out on the cover is great. Yeah, well, I mean, during that, it's not explained away like you mentioned. It, it's by, it, by no means in line with continuity, but Thor does mention no. that, 
through his Asgardian magic at the end of this adventure, none of them will remember what occurred. But uh, the fact that he himself did not bring that up much later, you know, when mm -hmm. he met them is a little bit strange. But, you know, I can understand that that sort of Roy's way of saying that this is in continuity, but it doesn't matter because Thor's magic just wiped it from their minds at the end of the story. But like you say, there's a couple of other things that are left hanging there that don't really make sense. So we'll get the fact that Thor himself should remember, <laughs> right? I mean, or did yeah, he yeah. willingly erase it from his own mind? I doubt it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, he never mentions to, to, to Cap while they're hanging out as Avengers in the 60s and 70s that, hey, you know, I want to tell you this forgotten adventure we once had together. <laughs> so <laughs> never. Interesting. But I don't think it's been retconned out that this wasn't Thor. I think this was uh, this just from what I read, you know, when I was researching it. Um, but there's definitely a lot of people criti criticizing this fact, right? Billy, that there's this shoddy way of explaining that this is in continuity when in fact it couldn't be. Right. Yeah. So interesting uh, cover. I love the fact that it shows all the invaders and it looks like Thor has murdered Union Jack on the cover. Mm -hmm. Well, almost. And uh, uh, it's got this great battle scene. The entire roster of the... Uh, invaders at this point in time versus the Thunder God, and they can do nothing against him. This cements the fact that Thor is one of the most powerful characters in Marvel. I, I would say probably in many ways and respects even more powerful than the Hulk. But um, that's just my personal opinion. It's just that uh, even people like Namor, who's in a class all his own when it comes to strength, he probably won't stand up against Thor, much less even... Well, even if he's assisted by this entire team of invaders. So they were lucky to get off with their lives here because in this, this story, Thor has no qualms about murdering and killing. Right? Yeah, no, really? not at all. Not at all. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's get into this. We open up with Thor standing on the tracks here and mm. he's facing the reader, turning his backs to the invaders. So this is almost a bit of fourth wall breaking, maybe indirectly here with him just wanting to display himself you know, to the, the readers here. But it's a it's a choice by the artists, of course. But it's weird that he would turn his back on the person he sent to assassinate and the rest of the invaders. And you see Stalin in the background. He's just looking upon this whole scene in this <laughs> serene way, like he's like he's high on something or I don't know. <laughs> he's stoned, yeah. <laughs> Probably on morphine or something. Who knows? But Thor is threatening them. And the name, of course, prominently displayed there, the name of the story, A Time of Titans. And he's mm -hmm. saying that they better get out of his way, these invaders, or he'll tear them apart. And then they won't rightly fully believe that this is the actual Thor, even though Captain America says he certainly got his nomenclature correct because he's mentioning Mjolnir, which is actually mm -hmm. from a Norse myth. So Cap's more clued up than the rest of them on mythology. Yeah. And then Thor just instantly proves that he is the real thing by ripping up the metal tracks of the train, bending them as if they're pieces of ligerish. And <laughs> uh, Namor, shades of Proteus. <laughs> cloaked <laughs> intruder's sh sheer strength rivals even my own. And then, Billy, we get into this fight. <laughs> yeah. They still won't Thor. believe it's Thor. So what does he do with Mjolnir there? Yeah, well, Thor gets pissed that uh, Subby would he dare say that his strength rivals his own yeah so then he really flips out and uses mjolnir to summon a storm you know lightning flying everywhere and a pouring rain that stops uh 
the human torch from even uh, flaming on, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is crazy. And then Cap sort of takes a swing at Thor, but Thor just stands still and lets Cap do it. And then Cap almost breaks his hand mm-hmm. against Thor's jaw because Thor is for well seemingly invulnerable right he's not superman level invulnerable in comics but Mm -hmm. think about it billy technically thor is you know invulnerable he's durable incredibly so because he i mean wasn't there that famous scene in one of the old um journey uh what was it journey into mystery comics or it might be yes or siri commenced where he walks into a pit of lava and then walks out the other side totally unharmed so right. yeah, definitely. And now Thor, I, that was always called into question when I started reading Thor in the late seventies and early eighties. When when people start discharging bullets at him, firing at him, he uses hammer to deflect the bullets. But nowadays, I'm thinking, why even bother? Why not let the bullets just bounce off your Asgardian hide? <laughs> because he must <laughs> yeah. be he must be that powerful. I I I'd say to be able to resist that kind of injury. But mm-hmm. Cap, yeah, definitely can't even make, he can't even budge Thor there for, with a with a full powered punch, and then Thor just hurls him away. Subby engages Thor, and this impresses Thor a little bit more when Submariner seems to knock him off his feet. But then immediately Thor just punches Subby here, one blow, <laughs> yeah. and he's unconscious. Knocks him out. <laughs> Knocks him out with one blow, and uh, he even Thor can't. He seems surprised that he so easily overcame the Submariner because he's. Odin's beard. I have felled this strange one. And mm-hmm. uh, then uh, the Russians commence firing upon Thor. He takes to the skies and knocks these shells out of the air. And mm-hmm. then Billy, he, he proceeds to rip <laughs> up this train to look for Stalin. He's going to rend him limb from limb. And who comes <laughs> to his, his aid? Oh, yeah. Subby finally wakes up and comes in and whisks him away to a, is that a chopper or a plane of some kind here. No, and, that's uh, a, that's the Subby's Imperial oh, Subby's, flagship, yeah. Subby's flagship, yeah, and then they take off, but uh Thor is just like, so the coward doth flee, seeking refuge in the sky. <laughs> He's about Which to pursue. Great. Yeah, that was a great mm-hmm. line. He's about to pursue when uh Union Jack and Spitfire engage in this brother sister tag team. But Union Jack calls Thor a Jerry because after all they think he's working <laughs> with the Germans, he might be German. Uh-huh. And Thor says, Jerry, I know not that word, masked one. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And then they sort of uh, prove ineffectual. He just bats them away with his hammer. And the torch Mm -hmm. is still wet. He can't flame on, like you mentioned. And Thor takes off into the sky. So obviously in pursuit, but it's fruitless because by now Subby's over the horizon. You know, the the Imperial flagship can fly at supersonic speeds. Mm -hmm. So then Spitfire ends up drying the torch by running around him, creating a makeshift whirlwind there that dries his clothes. And so he flames on and ignites the, the what do you call it? The steam engine there. Uh, yeah, like the, the coal, lights sorry, the coal on fire. Yeah, coal on fire. And then uh, mm. they, the train takes off again towards uh, the Kremlin to deliver. Well, Joseph Stalin's now already in the Kremlin, but I guess the rest of the train still has to make the journey. And Namor has since buried old Stalin back to to the Kremlin. But then Thor, yeah, what happens next, Billy? Well, I love as uh, he's igniting the fire there, I love uh, Human Torch says, just wait till I get a crack at that dime store demigod. <laughs> <laughs> dime store demigod. I love nice. it, but yeah. 
back to, <laughs> and then Thor goes back to, uh, to uh, see the Fuhrer. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry, they use the crazy dimensional, like, uh, TV set to talk to Thor. Yeah, so Thor yeah. seems to be able to link Mjolnir's magic to this TV set, sort of like a merger of science and mm-hmm. technology, because he can communicate with them through this transdimensional machine of Dr. Olsen's via Mjolnir. <laughs> so Mjolnir yeah. is this link there. And later on, that will become a plot point when we see that Hans will use the machine to actually allow Thor to eavesdrop on Hitler's rants in the Reich's uh-huh. later on. Yeah. yeah. So what happens during this meeting, Billy? I hinted at this in my synopsis, but this is where Hitler may, almost makes a fatal mistake. What does he do? Yeah. Yeah. He gets kind of lippy with Thor here. And Thor says, watch your watch closely thy tongue, Nordic. <laughs> and Hitler says, forgive my rash joke for son. And he's like, I believe that we can guide you to the Kremlin. So, you know, they guided the Kremlin using that crazy, you know, device that uh, Olsen and Hans made, you know, yeah. maybe some of uh, Mjolnir in there too. Uh, and he uh, flies over that way and he says, and this time, if the impudent invaders dare bar my way, they shall die. <laughs> yeah, he's heading towards the Kremlin, ready to, mm-hmm. to do what he said he would do. Now, at this point, it's more uh, Thor's ego, uh, you know, at the reins because he is a man of his word. He promised, he, even though now he hates Hitler and he still finds him reprehensible, he has promised to destroy Stalin, to kill Stalin. And Hitler just pointing out his failure makes him even more willing to kill the Russian premier, right? Billy? So that's why he, he says he's a man of his word, but he's starting to really despise Hitler here. And especially since Hitler just called him a dumb cop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a dunderhead. Um, so yeah, he takes off to to murder Stalin on his second try. And then Hitler reveals his plan to Dr. Olsen and Hans here. And we see mm-hmm. Dr. Olsen's heart attack is, is imminent, but Hitler's mm-hmm. plan is basically elucidated here by the art of Alan Kupperberg and company. <laughs> when you see Hitler rants and raves about how he's going to bring all of the Asgardian gods to assist him in this <laughs> battle against the allies. Uh-huh. And then you see this fantastic image. This is obviously just in Hitler's dream of Thor and the Warriors three, Fandral, Hogan, and Volstagg, who each sport little swastika armbands, the red (laughs) and black and white Nazi swastika armbands that everybody wore who was associated with the Nazi party, just wailing on -hmm. these naked bald dudes (laughs) who I'm not supposed to know. What is he thinking? Are they the Slavic people? Are they (laughs) the Jewish people? I don't know what Hitler is thinking. Yeah. That's a little bizarre. Yeah, they just have purple pants on, and every one of them is just a ripped ball, like a Mr. Clean, but with purple yeah. pants on. Well, well the one guy, I'm sorry. Have. Excuse me. Yeah, excuse me. The one's buck naked. Yeah. <laughs> and the other, and maybe all of them are buck naked, except the one guy that uh, Hogan the Grim is smashing over the head with his uh, mace. It looks like they're attacking a nudist colony here. <laughs> you know, and um, it's, it's weird. This is Hitler's sick imagination. Going to play here, and then mm-hmm. Dr. Olson suffers the heart attack, and now yeah. Hans is designated as the primary scientist who has to do Hitler's bidding. Yeah, and he's gonna play along with Hitler, but you can see that he's got his own plan because as Hitler mm-hmm. leaves, Hans thinks as he's tweaking the machine, "Yes, you arrogant swine! My work is not done. I shall do your bidding for now because it suits my own experimental." purposes 
And then he reveals his identity to the readers, but we're not going to do that yet. We're going to leave that till <laughs> later. And I'm thinking Roy should have done that too. He shouldn't have revealed who this is this early on in a thought bubble. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. So yeah, it would fantastic. have made every way until the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still, then we've got Thor flying through the skies towards uh, the Russian capital and he's being strafed by aerial bombardment, but he easily avoids it. And mm. then he spies the invaders Atlantean flagship on the roof of the Kremlin and he heads down and mm. the invaders are right there to tackle him. But they say, okay, they have a plan here. They're going to mm. leave U Union Jack to protect Stalin while they head off for a frontal assault against Thor. But that proves ineffectual. Even the torch shows that it, it didn't matter whether he was wet earlier or not. Even in his full flaming form, he's not a match for Thor. What does Thor do there, Billy? Yeah, he just spins Mjolnir like crazy, like a giant fan, and just puts. I, I'm sorry, he <coughs> snuffs out his cow, his powers like many candles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is Thor at a at a birthday party, and you know Thor didn't even need Mjolnir to do this because we've seen in the past that Thor has a type of super breath. Have you have you ever seen those old old issues oh, yeah. where Thor, he, Thor can employ yeah. his powerful lungs to do what? What Superman does, like Superman, yeah, they've. Yeah. Uh, there were some times I felt Marvel really tried to make Thor into their Superman, you know, yeah. with powers and abilities and just you know the way he acts. Like not yeah. always, but just every once in a while. Yeah, roughly similar. Well, it, well, it speaks to the whole conceit of technically the Hulk himself should also have super breath then, because mm -hmm. you know yeah. the, their entire bodies are super powered, so they that means every aspect of them. So that's why Superman is explained to have a super voice uh, that could uh, crack windows miles around and could even burst eardrums if he so wishes. Thor yeah. should have that too, technically, because of every part of his body mm -hmm. is super powerful. But yeah. um, I don't mind that. I like, like the fact that he uses Mjolnir here. And then he's tackled by Kappa Namor. But he, this is like a wrestling match at this point in time. But it's more like Hulk Hogan versus two toddlers here, it seems. Even <laughs> Namor can do nothing. He mm -hmm. slams, I don't know exactly how he pulled off this move, but Namor put him in a body lock from behind. But then he he possibly just bent over, throwing Namor on top of Cap, taking them both out. Yeah, like flipped them. It's it's not, no uh, offense to Paul Kupperberg here, but it's not really, you know, just in the three panels that you see these, you know, fights going on. It just wasn't enough, I guess, to yeah. relay what he was trying to do. So he had to kind of make a, take a couple liberties here. So, yeah, he kind of just flips Namor over on top of Cap, but you can't really tell that. You just have to surmise that. That's right. And Spitfire runs into Thor at full speed. And she says it's like she tried to bowl him over, but she probably broke a rib. So it's like running into mm -hmm. a brick wall. And yeah. then the invader, oh boy. Yeah, the invaders' first assault team have been taken out in what I think to be five seconds flat. You know, believe if you look at the dialogue. Now, you can't always measure time like that in comic books, but definitely it was very quickly, probably more like a minute. But then Thor crashes through the window there into the Stalin's office and he grabs Stalin. And it seems that he first picks him up, then hurls him from him. And he says that, you know, I'm going to put your evil to an end. And he blasts mm -hmm. him with Mjolnir. Crackle. Oof. And he's yeah, it's pretty rough. Looks like he's dead. And Cap and everybody shows up and Namor says, Neptune and then uh, Captain Captain America he's killed Joseph Stalin mm -hmm. and then Thor gets the he gets to eavesdrop on what's happening 
uh, in back in Berlin. Yeah. At first, he, he <laughs> yeah, still threatens the Avengers. Yes, he, he did what he had to do. But Billy, speak on this next scene. What is happening in Berlin simultaneously uh, as Thor had just, you know, been killing Stalin? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Thor's like, hold, what voice is this coming as if from nowhere? And we hear this voice as guardian lackey to do my bidding as all the world shall soon see. And then we see it's idiot Hitler ranting and raving to himself about, you know, what he's going to do. And he says, what a purging of the blood there will be then of Jews, of Poles, of gypsies, of all races of inferior to the Aryan. He's basically, you know, having his wet dream here about killing everybody that doesn't, you know, bow to him or look like him. And then <laughs> we see our uh, bandaged figure here. He says, there, I have fixed the device so that Thor himself can hear Hitler's ranting. <laughs> exactly. This is all part of Hans's uh, scheme. This is his machinations that make this possible. <laughs> but then we've got pro- possibly my one of my favorite panels in these two issues is where Hans is just about to give Hitler what he wants because these monsters, these trolls, these goblins, these orcs, these giants from the nine worlds are being pulled through this dimensional gateway. Now, (laughs) whether Hitler would have been able to control them with his rhetoric, I don't, I doubt it. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck, Hitler. This would have been his death knell. But Hans Mm -hmm. decides to just give the Fuhrer a taste of what might be coming. And then he says, nope. I calibrated the machine so that it will overload. So get ready for the explosion of a lifetime. And mm-hmm. then Hitler says, Schweinhund, the machine. You've said it so that it glows red, red hot. Stop. And then, Baroom, massive explosion. The entire Reich's uh-huh. chivalry is destroyed. And Hitler's lucky to be alive, but he's buried in rubble. However, mm-hmm. Hans remains completely unscathed. Mm-hmm. And this is where we find out who Hans really is. Now, Billy, we can go now ahead and spoil it. And I want you <laughs> to do the honors, my friend. Who was Hans actually? Well, it was not the unknown soldier and it was not Larry Trainer. <laughs> it is Dr. <laughs> Doom. <laughs> it's Dr. It's Victor Von Doom. Yep. He, now, later we'll talk about how this could be Victor Von Doom showing up in 1942. Uh, but yeah, Victor Von Doom had been working for and with Dr. Olson because he was studying spatial dimensional theory in order to, we know, of course, he, he wishes to save his mother who's been in Mephisto's right. realm for all these mm-hmm. many years. And he's always looking for a way to improve on his own scientific and mystical knowledge so that he could breach that barrier and save his mom. So this was part of his studies back then. And right. he showed up to study the machine and then also foiled Hitler's scheme. And he explains why he says that Nazi dog, just be glad I don't kill you myself. I am the one man on earth who is more evil. You, well, he says Hitler is the one man on earth who is more evil than he could ever hope to be. So in this iteration, Dr. Doom already knows that he's evil. Whereas Mm -hmm. later on, he's more type of Magneto figure where he says that evil is a point of view. And he doesn't consider himself evil, but, you know, still mm-hmm. he, he acknowledges himself as evil here to Hitler, but he says he, Hitler's even more evil. He, he would bring this, these vermin, these monsters into the world. And then he yeah. says, my mother, incidentally, was born a gypsy, Herr Hitler, just as I was a gypsy. One of those you would see dead for no reason but the rancor in your soul. You know, so that's also one of the reasons he would foil Hitler's scheme. The ruler of Latveria himself. And then he says he's he's 
gotten all the information he needs, the knowledge he requires from the machine of Dr. Olson. Now he's destroyed it. He's willing to move on, but he's not going to kill Hitler. He would rather sit on the sidelines and see and enjoy, sit in the stands and enjoy Hitler's downfall at the hands of just an angry humanity. Mm-hmm. Of Wiedersehen, yeah. mein Führer, from <laughs> Victor von Doom. <laughs> and then he and just he goes walks walking up. out. Yeah, That's walks right. out. And the Nazis go flying by him, the soldiers, the foot soldiers, basically, to see if the Fuhrer is okay. But he just walks right out. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> now, Billy, uh, we know that uh, Doom was technically Reed Richards' age when he studied. Right. And so this would make a 20-year-old, even a 17-year-old, 18-year-old, 19-year-old Von Doom impossible to have shown up in 1942. But mm-hmm. as we know, he had access to time travel technology. He had his time platform from those mm-hmm. early issues in Fantastic Four. And he, I, this is what is postulated by many folks out there, not just by myself. He must have time traveled back to 1942. Well, well this, is no, this is not explicitly stated, right? In order to do this research, what do you think? Roger Stern actually wrote a story saying this. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't even, I didn't even read that. Yeah. Was that in the, the... It was in the late, late the... 90s. Like oh, 1998, okay. I looked it up. It was, I think, Marvel Superheroes or something like that was the name of the title. And it oh. had like three issues. But yeah, Roger Stern wrote a story saying, yes, he did have his time platform. And t- this was him time traveling back to that. Right, era. right, right. That, that's, that's how it was explained. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Roger Stern's good at that. man. He's done that a few times. Excellent, excellent. No, it's good that you yeah. mentioned that because I was not aware of that at all. I had not mm-hmm. even done research on this aspect of it, but I knew it couldn't yeah. be doom in, in normal continuity because he was presented as similar age of Richard, Reed Richard. So if he was a well, they went to college was, together, yeah. Yeah, they mm-hmm. went to college together. And yeah, yeah. He was a young man then as, as shown. So mm-hmm. uh, this was probably have been 1957 when they met in college or even a little bit later, just before the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four, you know, got their powers, but still. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely Doom's time technology here. Roger Stern probably hit on that. Well done, Roger there. Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad Doom showed up and foiled Hitler. I mean, <laughs> you never had a meeting between Hitler and Doom uh, like this quite before, where, where Doom directly sort of involves himself in the affairs of World War II and then manages to save humanity in the process. So mm-hmm. Doom is the ultimate savior here. Yeah, yeah. You figure if he would not have open that portal so Thor could see what an idiot Hitler really was and that he was being lied to. Who knows how this would have went down? You know what I mean? This would have went right. pretty badly for them. That's right. And Doom, uh, Billy, we've spoken to about Doom to Professor Alan Middle- Middleton, uh, mm-hmm. Professor Alan before. I know Professor Alan's a huge fan. You and I, mm-hmm. we absolutely love Doom. He's one of our favorite villains. Now, Oh, he's we, awesome. I guess we haven't mentioned this before because he's not a wacky villain. I mean, there are wacky storylines featuring Doom. This would probably qualify, mm-hmm. but he's not a vac- wacky villain for me. He's a very serious no. villain. No, he, no, not for at me, all. He's like, I mean, my, my five favorite villains from Marvel are probably Kang, then Doom, then Dormammu, and then the High Evolutionary. And mm. then someone like probably uh, Amora, the Enchantress. I love her. Uh, those are my favorite villains. None of them are wacky. If you no. know what I mean, mm-hmm. I have no. my favorite villains who are wacky. Of course, we've mentioned that on previous shows, right? Where we <laughs> talked about that, the orb, yeah. you know, the fool killer, uh, yeah. all of those. Uh, but they're not quite 
this this is when you when you have these two sort of mindsets where you know which you and i have when we're comic book british but dealing with the weird not all villains have to be weird oh i forgot to put the red skull in there i'm actually mm. a huge fan of the red skull but you know i don't like yeah. to say i'm a fan of his because of his reprehensible racist rhetoric but <laughs> you know i like it when he's featured in a story and he's taken down it's just Hey, listen, it's, it's, it's okay. It's just a comic book, man. It's all yeah. right. He's not yeah, real. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I, uh, oh, then no, I cannot say this. There's so many other villains that I should have mentioned, you know, okay. Maybe but we some need to do them, a top 10 villains here. <laughs> we should one day. One, why not? I mean, we could it now, but I want to prepare a little bit more because already oh, I yeah, feel yeah. hypocritical here. I'm vacillating between <laughs> my favorite villains. I know for a fact, though, that Zemnu, the very first Defenders oh, film that I liked. That he will Yeti guy. I love Zemnu. He will be in there. But he's a wacky villain for sure. He's, he's not yeah, he is. He's crazy. Yeah, he's crazy. I love some of his dialogue. Oh, he's brilliant. Although in the recent Immortal Hulk series, he's presented in a very serious vein. Very sinister, very horror-ish. But still, Ooh, I love the old. I like that. Yeah, ooh, beautiful. And the way Alex Ross draws him on the cover, you won't believe it. I'll send mm. you a couple of images later. Wow, still, yeah fantastic villain dr doom one of the greats and uh yeah i'm firmly off the mind that okay there were some epic villains uh showing up in dc but i think marvel has the better villains i just i mean the joker is a fantastic villain dark side which was technically created by jack yeah, by a marvel guy jack kirby i'm always going to see him as a marvel guy first and foremost because he created <laughs> all of these iconic marvel villains Sure. But, uh, you know, I, I just always had this in my mind that Marvel has the better villains. And I will probably get some flack here from some listeners. <laughs> but well, hey, this is a Mar- hey, Yeah, this is a Marvel podcast. Come on. What do you expect here? But I mean, I'm a little uh, I'm getting a little tired of this character. But Loki, you know, great villain. You know, I think that the, mo- the movies and stuff have kind of rammed him down everybody's throat a little bit because he got so popular there. But before there was an MCU, definitely Loki would have been up there for me too. love him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. I mean, Loki from the MCU is a fantastic movie villain. He's my favorite villain that shows up, in fact, in the Marvel MCU. And Thanos is great, too. But I prefer the comic book Thanos because the movie Thanos makes no sense. You know, if you had this power at at your command, you know, like many folks have pointed out, to create more resources, if that's your big issue, kill half the galaxy because there's not enough resources for everybody, then why murder half of the pop of, of the galactic <laughs> population? Why not just, you know, create another universe where there are enough resources for everybody? And uh, but the comic book Thanos makes sense. He wants to kill half of existence because he wants to impress death he's in love with the literal personification of death (laughs) he's insane yeah yeah the infinity gauntlet was a way different story than what we got in the mcu but it's all good no it's it's all good two different things whatever different things but my my point is our point is we think marvel villains are a little bit better than the dc villains yes so, uh, sorry, we went off on a tangent there, but still, this <laughs> issue ends in a in a suitably fantastic fashion because it turns yeah. out that now that Victor von Doom's taken out Hitler's machine and the threat of Hitler himself for a while there, Thor is now feeling remorse. He's re- he realizes he's been used by the Fuhrer. And rather than return to enact vengeance on the Fuhrer, which I think Thor's personality would dictate, mm-hmm. he just opts yeah. to try to to redress his wrongs here by absorbing the lightning that has killed Stalin. 
after it's <laughs> revealed that it's not in fact Stalin, but someone with a stronger constitution than an old communist. And who be he, Billy? Who was the real Stalin here? It was uh, the Union Jack with a mask on. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. A Mission Impossible style mask that they somehow whipped mm-hmm. up in double quick time to fool Thor here. Probably not too too difficult to fool Thor, who's not used to Stalin. But yeah, somehow he put this rubber mask on to disguise himself as Stalin, mimicked Stalin's you know body mass, and then he was his stand-in. He was his uh, well, his bodyguard that also doubled as his body double and then took the brunt of Thor's lightning. And he, because he's mm-hmm. got a stronger constitution, he managed to, to survive. And then he also gains a brief, well, this will not last for long, but he gains electrokinesis as a side effect of Thor's magic lightning mm-hmm. because he ends up pointing towards cap and then blasting cap with a electrokinetic bolt. And uh, <laughs> luckily cap <laughs> blocked it with a shield. <laughs> yeah he'd be dead maybe <laughs> that's right so, so thor leaves I mean, yeah he would easily but thor leaves saying that you know the invent invaders are noble warriors and he hopes to meet them again and they reminisce about that and uh cap and namor speaks on that and they say that will we ever meet him again and neighbor says i suspect we shall yet speaking only for myself i would prefer he stay in asgard forever <laughs> Namor, <laughs> not great. a fan of Thor. He's never been a fan of Thor. No. Uh-uh. So re-enter the mighty destroyer. That's uh, also a story tied into Brian Falsworth and the Union Jack in the next issue. So very interesting uh, wrap up here, right? Billy, we've got mm-hmm. Doom as a reveal. We've got Union Jack proving he's not that useless after all. <laughs> and I'm so glad you picked these two issues because as our listeners might know, you are designated as the as the comic book researcher who finds and catalogs and fills up all of these slots that we have in between Doctor Strange issues that we discuss. So believe your picks are always impressive. And uh, as long as I have them, as long as I <laughs> possess them, because I'm not on Marvel Unlimited, I enjoy everything you've picked so far. These two are definitely in line with war comics month and also in line with our weird aesthetic that we've got going here so well done my friend well done that's why i said i don't know what's crazier frankenstein versus evaders or thor so (laughs) you take your (laughs) take your pick adolf hitler and thor on the same team or (laughs) frankenstein monster i don't know (laughs) i enjoyed the frankenstein issue more but i would say that these are pretty damn close and especially for the disturbing accent of having aspect of having thor who is this Nordic type of super Aryan super figure that Hitler admires, who's then turned to the Nazi cause. And that in mm-hmm. itself is so disturbing that the story warrants crazy. mentioning yeah, on Into the Weird. <laughs> and then, of course, these other little snippets of weirdness that they insert, that Roy Doom. gets up to here. <laughs> Doom showing up totally out of yeah. context, but he's there. He's the secret... Yeah ingredient that foils the plot of hitler and also mm-hmm. this uh this whole scene with you know uh the russians that are involved who want this achilles tank delivered this is just a plot device to get the av- invaders to russia to russia. foil the <laughs> assassination attempt that hitler's got planned 
For sending Stalin. the God of Thunder to kill Stalin, <laughs> who at that point in time, I think he did consider his greatest enemy. Oh, probably, yeah. And so, wow, just everything works for me. The art, like I said, I'm not a fan of the art and the action scenes Copperberg could have done more with. But ultimately, it's the story that speaks to me here and the mm-hmm. weird plot devices that Roy employs, as well as the dialogue, which he's so good at. So, Billy, that is the perfect segue into Bronze Age Brilliance and Mighty Marvel Missteps. Mm-hmm. I'll let you go first. What do you like most about these two issues, your Bronze Age Brilliance? Well, for me, it's just the absolute ludicrous story. And then <laughs> seeing, uh, I love how also Roy, you know, shows, you know, Hitler as the maniac he was and <laughs> just flipping out at the drop of a hat and losing control of his temper and stuff like that. I like that too, because I can just imagine behind closed doors, that's how he was. Because, you know, when he was on a camera, he was very, you know, well-spoken and reserved. But people that are like that on a camera and, you know, you wind up finding later they're a little uh, mentally imbalanced, you know, behind the scenes, they're a raving lunatic sometime. And I like how Roy portrayed him that way in these uh, stories. These are great. Love it. Well, yeah. Well, he also raved as a lunatic in many of the speeches as well. But I'm thinking you're right. He probably turned that up to 11 in private Mm -hmm. when he ranted and raved at his generals. So, yeah, you're right. And then uh, my personal uh, bronze age brilliance here would be the fact that Roy sort of went back to the story that he so loves the ring of the Nibelung mm. uh, from Gotterdammerung uh, the opera yeah. mentioned by Wagner and mm-hmm. uh, it sort of tied the Teutonic gods back into the whole German uh, effort there because they were very concerned with that Hitler was a fan yeah and this is where the what you liked about this wacky plot that since Hitler so loved the Teutonic gods that he would then charge or get a scientist that had this transdimensional technology to get the Teutonic Knights to actually assist him (laughs) (laughs) in his war because they should by all rights follow the German Reich that's what just logical for Hitler that's that's the way he thinks and they do in fact well Thor does in fact do that for a little while but he proves to be more noble um, than Hitler suspected so I love that and then Billy, what about your mighty Marvel misstep? The only thing, I'll be honest, that bothered me about these issues was uh, it, the, the whining of Union Jack being like the, you know, the, oh, the yeah. fifth wheel here, not having any powers. That got a little old. And I, maybe yeah. that's because of, you know, how much All-Star Squadron we've been reading. And you have Al Pratt doing that as well. But that kind of got annoying. I'm just like, oh, boy, like, come on. And then he's like threatening to quit the team because he's, you know, this and that. I'm thinking... Dude, you've been on like a few missions already and you were helpful. <laughs> Why would you think that? That just doesn't make any sense. But that was the only thing that like was noticeable to me that bothered me. And I thought, oh, I wish he'd shut up already. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Same. Uh, well, I'm not going to pick that as my bronze, uh, my misstep, but I agree with you there. That is that in the first issue, at least in 32, when he was whining all the time, it became a little bit old very fast. So yeah. for me, it was the art a little bit i found that copperberg he doesn't draw flying characters very well uh, just my personal opinion here about his art thor flying he looks awkward namor flying there was one panel where namor looked good and that was when he busted through the russian train grabbing stalin and flying him to safety but that's it the rest he, they look really weird in the air mm-hmm. and then another uh, part of the art that bugged me a little bit was the way that uh, transitions between panels and action scenes were handled. You don't really know what's going on, even though the dialogue says that 
this should be the next blow being delivered because this is in between sentences, in between words even. It doesn't look like it. It, it looked like an entire span of moves must have happened before these two sentences could have been strung together. Yeah. Um, and it just seems strange to me. But yeah, I'm not a big fan of Alan Kupperberg's art. I think Frank Springer brought it not together nicely though uh, but for me the invaders will always be frank robinson frank springer but you know there were some other great artists on the invaders we shouldn't give the whole series short strip for a while there they had uh jamuni that rich buckler in fact that's how roy mm-hmm. uh, hooked up with rich buckler for eventually all-star squadron later on at dc which they co-created he also struck up his mm-hmm. friendship with rick hoberg uh through the invaders here Cheek Stone was on there for a while, you know, Dick Ayers. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, some great art artists uh, featured in the, the Invaders. It, they just don't trump, uh, re, you know, Frank Robbins for me. Yeah, but, to me, yeah. Frank Robbins, it's, it's, it depends on the anchor. You know, I, when it was him and Springer, it was okay. But then I'm trying to think of who inked him a couple of times. And I was just like, not really into it. Or maybe oh, he even inked himself. There. Oh, maybe that was it. Yeah. yeah. Cause I just was like, oof. And then I just, cause like his Batman stuff I like. I don't know who inked him over there, but he did some Batman stories I like too. And then he wrote some too, I think, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. Ultimately, I think, yeah, I don't know who inked him on Batman, but I know, I think he inked himself on The Shadow. And that really works. Like Frank Robbins inking himself. Whoa, that is some amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, I, didn't, the I haven't read scenario. that. Yeah, yeah I haven't read beautiful. that stuff. I'll send you some scans of those of my old comics. They're falling apart, but I can take a pick or two with my iPhone just to s- show you what that looks like. It looks beautiful. I might, definitely I might have, yeah, mm-hmm. I might have one or two issues of those. Thing. The only thing I, I do have a shadow, like a, a hardcover. I think Denny O'Neill and I think it's Kaluta and Heath are the artists on that that I oh. have. But I think that might have been a Marvel graphic novel or something like that. It's just his style is suited to certain characters. I would say Batman and the Shadow yeah. more so than yeah, yeah. World War II too. You know, he was, like I say, good at drawing the accoutrements of World War II and all the the tech and the vehicles and mm-hmm. so forth. And even the cityscapes yeah. and the castles, crumbling castles sometimes. So I love that. Mm-hmm. But Billy, that brings us to the end of our main segment. Uh, well, I guess our sub-segment, in, which is Bronze Age Brilliance and Mighty Marvel Missteps as well. We're going to mm-hmm. take a little bit of a break and then we'll be back for Shop Talk. So listeners, stay with us. Don't go away yet. Look at that. What is it? Right, we're back with shop talk. Billy, do you have anything on the docket you wish to discuss? I think both of us have one thing that we're going to be talking about. What is that? Yeah, I think we both wanted to talk about some Eternals, you know, and you had mentioned earlier that we weren't going to be going to see the movie, but, you know, at some point we'll catch it on, you know, streaming and stuff like that. But we definitely wanted to talk about them a little bit. Yeah. Well, we love the Eternals. We love Kirby Mm. uh, when he came back to Marvel, especially. And uh, Eternals, Devil Dinosaur. They'll always have warm places in my heart, even though they're objectively not considered to be his greatest series. I don't mind. I, I still loved it. I loved all of mm-hmm. the characters in there. My favorite being the reject. 
<laughs> and carcass. <laughs> ransack you know, and then, the reject. <laughs> yeah, ransack. And then, of course, you had the cast of the Eternals, uh, Icarus mm-hmm. and all of them. But I I didn't find them that interesting as the side characters, you know, that, that was running around. But I love the art. Fantastic concept with Celestials and the Eternals themselves are, are mm. a very interesting concept. But it's, again, Kirby playing with things similar to the Inhumans, you know, this race of immortals who had been created um to shepherd events on earth and the movie itself seems to have precious little kirby in there and that's one of yeah. the reasons i'm gonna wait for it to appear on disney plus it should be available in a month or two if, if i go by how fast shang chi got onto disney plus so i'll wait for that and probably then we'll talk about our favorite eternals issues once we've gotten around to actually seeing the film Right. So we just want to let you weirdos know out there, we are aware of the Eternals and we're probably speaking directly to Dan here. Dan O'Cosmic, our buddy on. Please don't hate us, Dan, but we, we're not going to make it to the theater uh, before, you know, I, I think it's just not on our, uh, you know, plan, not in our plan for what we've got coming until, you know, for the rest of this year, right, Billy? Yeah, I mean, I, I got to be honest, I haven't seen any re- movies, honestly, that have piqued my interest enough to make me go out to the theaters right now. But I mean, I, I do want to go see the doc when that, uh, of course, his se- second film comes out for sure, just because, you know, it's you know my favorite character. So I, I'm definitely going to go see that, but not a whole lot else has really, you know, grabbed me like, Oh yeah, I got to go see this. It's just all stuff. I'll see. It's like, you know, a rental streaming, whatever you want to say. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check some of them out that way, but I don't feel, I don't feel any of the, the need to go to the theater for any of them right now. Yeah. Full disclosure, you know, Shang-Chi was a good movie, uh, possibly great, but I didn't much enjoy it. Uh, I, th- I thought I would enjoy it more, but the reason is just a personal reason for, for, for me. That the fact that that has nothing to do with the Shang-Chi character from the comics that I so love. There's no espionage element. Obviously, they couldn't use Fu Manchu, but then they married the story to an Iron Man villain, the Mandarin, and they tried to explain yeah. away the botched appearance of the Mandarin in Iron Man 3. And uh, they sort of tried to incorporate that in part of the story. Now, many people say that's brilliant the way they did that. I thought that was very clunky and Marvel just trying to pick up their trash there. And uh, mm-hmm. But I love the, the, the cast of Shang-Chi that, and the action scenes. That was pretty great. But that character is not the Shang-Chi from the comics. That's the only reason I find the movie good and not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the fact that they made it uh, this whole magical universe that is more akin to Iron Fist and the nine cities of heaven. It's right. not really, it doesn't really have anything to do with Shang-Chi from the comic books, the origin of Fu Manchu, him coming from this, this background of, of a sinister criminal father who's immortal. Well, his father's also immortal in the movie through these nine rings, but why bring the nine rings into this? This is a Mandarin thing. And now it's explained as a Chinese mythological thing with possibly an alien origin, similar to the Mandarin's rings in the comics. But right. Yeah. That's the only reason I wouldn't consider it. My favorite Marvel movie is just because it takes a character that is so beloved by me from the comics and then completely changes him and makes him into something that Shang-Chi is definitely not for me in my head. <laughs> mm, yeah. But, and I know, mean, yeah, I don't like that if they incorporated, you know, certain elements, even if it's tangentially that are from Iron Fist, because, well, what about Iron Fist? Aren't you ever going to bring him into the movies? Like I realized there was like that Netflix series, but at this point I feel like 
Marvel should just ignore all that stuff and just start over with those characters in the MCU, you know? And so what are you going to do with him then? You're going to have to tweak and change his origin and what's going on with him. So Mm, I don't know. I think they'll probably tie that into, you know, this world of Tung Lao being one of the nine cities of heaven. Kung Lung would be like a sister city, but I don't know if they'll ever get to doing that because of the Netflix series being a failed uh, series but marvel could definitely in 10 years time return to that property who knows i'm just thinking that i i don't want them to really because i'm not interested in that the, the way they portrayed that on screen but uh just personal preference so yeah we're not going to be talking a lot of eternals even though we love the eternal series by kirby oh my gosh it's a lot of fun and then their appearance in thor you know that whole story that we brought up earlier too to me that even surpasses to me the the Eternals uh, own comic. I think that was so much better. Yeah. I love the eternal saga featuring Thor and the Celestials. It's got one of the best battles that I can remember ever. Well, a string Mm -hmm. of fantastic battles, Thor versus the Celestials. First you have Odin versus the Celestials as the destroyer. Mm. Then you have Thor versus the Celestials. Then you have Thor versus a pantheon of other gods. Well, the Indian gods, mostly trying Mm -hmm. to resuscitate, you know, the lost Asgardian gods. It's got so many great moments. And of course, the Eternals are involved. There's some fantastic scenes involving Mm -hmm. them. So yeah, Yeah. we've got to talk about that. And that's why we're going to leave that for a later date once you and I've Mm. got prepped. And once we've seen the movie so that we can tie that into the discussion with our favorite Eternal storyline, which is that that Thor storyline that we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So be patient with us, listeners. We'll get to the Eternals soon. And then that's it for Shop Talk, right, Billy? We don't have anything mm-hmm. else other than the fact that I you know, picked up a recent Spider-Man issue with Morbius, one of my favorite horror characters in it. Mm. I get to read that, so I'm probably going to discuss that on future episodes. But we're still buying, and we're still reading some new comics, just not a lot. And uh, whenever we do, we'll mention that on Shop Talk. Mm-hmm. But right now, it's time to head over to the recommendations of of Ragador, but we're going to make a short detour into the dark dimension. So (laughs) (laughs) hold on to your seats here, listeners. It's going to be a bumpy ride. Greetings, mortals. Once again, it is I, the Dread Dormammu, fulfilling my obligation to my old buddy, Rags. Or perhaps I should say Ragdor, and bringing you his recommendations delivered via those idiot mouthpieces of his, the so-called Into the Weird Crew. But before we get to that, I wish to partake of a human tradition related to the recent holiday with the pathetic name of Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, I, the Dread Dormammu, am thankful for the following. First, the idiocy of mortals and the ease with which they may be exterminated. Secondly, the foolish Vishanti of those mystical clowns who have provided a great source of entertainment for me throughout these many millennia. Thirdly, whoever killed Stephen Strange, though I would have preferred it have been me, 
I must commend you, whoever you are, for doing the deed and popping that irritating pimple on the hide of the dread Dormammu. And lastly, I'm thankful for my 70 Twitter followers at AntiTheShanty on Twitter. Obviously, you hate Doctor Strange almost as much as I do. And now, onto the recommendations. Dormammu heartily endorses them, as they cover topics as varied as cyborg sex, King Kirby art, and ghostly flaming heads nearly as attractive as mine. So until we meet during the fiery death throes of the Earth, when the Dark Dimension eventually consumes it, Pleasant screams, mortals. <laughs> back with the recommendations of Ragador. Billy, I'll let you go first. What do you have for this week? All right. So since we are talking this invader story that uh, has Thor in it, uh, my recommendation is Jack Kirby Collector number 49. So you know about this uh, title, yeah, don't you, Herm? Of course. I've got, isn't it Tomorrow's Publishing that, that puts mm-hmm. it out? Mm. Yeah. And this one issues. has... Yeah. Yeah, the, it's a wraparound cover of, you know, Kirby full glory here of Thor and Asgard and the Rainbow Bridge and all that stuff. And oh, yeah, inside you have, you know, interviews and artwork, you know, uh, just pencil work, even from Kirby with, you know, a lot of Thor heavy. But, you know, it's got some other things in there, too, like some FF and some new gods and things like that, too. But, oh, there's a ton, an absolute ton of Thor in here. So definitely pick this one up if you can find it. I mean, I know a lot of these are. You know, that's one thing about uh, Tomorrow's. It's not usually a really huge print run, but they do a lot of shows, Tomorrow's. And I did notice that if it's a Saturday and Sunday show and Sunday rolls around, they're like every other vendor where they want to take less back with them than what they brought. So they'll heavily discount stuff. So I think, you know, this was a $10 book. I think I got it for five bucks at a show because it was a Sunday and they were looking to unload as much as they could so they didn't have to take as much back. So. Yeah, definitely look for uh, tomorrow stuff it shows. Dude, that is fantastic. Okay, now I'm going to have to pick up more of those because I see some of them have popped up on Amazon, but very briefly until they're sold out. It's a small print mm-hmm. run or that or I, I presume that is sent to places like Amazon to buy, but you can buy directly from tomorrow's. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I miss an issue, if, if it's out of print, I do buy it digitally though off of the mm-hmm. tomorrow's site. And that yeah. is fantastic in itself. And that's mo- basically how I'm doing most of the research for our shows and Getting mm-hmm. old, you know, the digital copies of stuff like Alter Ego and Back Issue Magazine. Yeah, and the Jack Kirby they always, yeah, they always have the digital issues on there. Even if something's been out of print for years, you can always still get digital on there. And they do run some sales on their site too. So always uh, check that out. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. Thanks for the recommendation. I'm, I, I mm-hmm. haven't thought about that title in a while, but I do love me some Jack Kirby art. So mm. that's chock full of fantastic pieces and original art, even that's been. Mm-hmm. 
photographed and and not digitally retouched at all they just put that in there and if you if you want to see good art look for kirby's original pencils because that that's oh my gosh incredible crazy so, good yeah, i'm gonna have to pick up that one uh on my side i'm i've decided to go weird <laughs> because after all this is into the weird belief i don't ju- know if you're a fan of this guy and i don't know if i've ever recommended uh, his books before but i'm a big fan i've been reading him for years and years and uh, I know you're a big fan of the publisher, though, Humanoids, because mm. during a previous War Comics month, you recommended a comic book series from Humanoids called Legion. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you remember that? And of course, I also yeah. own that. So Humanoids is the publisher from Europe that publishes uh, the French comics, the Franco-Belgian uh, band dessinée titles usually, and they market mm-hmm. it for the States. Yeah. translated and available in English by fantastic artists. This particularly is one of the greats or the creative greats of Europe, I should say, even though he originated in South America. And this is Alejandro Jodorowsky. Mm. Uh, he was, a, of course, a movie director first, uh, directed El Topo and the Holy Mountain stuff like that. And he also ventured, he's probably most known for working with Mobius on the Inkle, their seminal series. Yeah, there. And then he's also done... The Meta Barons, which he's famous f- for, uh, with Juan Jimenez, who sadly passed away from COVID uh, two years ago. The mm. artist, I should say. And then the Techno Priests he did with Frank Beltran. Now, this volume I'm going to be recommending is a recent one from Humanoids. This is a very nice hardcover called The Yodorowsky Library, Book One. Now, this collects his lesser-known series because there are great collections out there, hardcover collections of the Incal, the Meta Barons, and the Techno Priests. But this mm-hmm. one collects his lesser-known series, which are still fantastic, but not that well-known. So within mm-hmm. this Jodorowsky Library Book 1, you get Annabelle 5, Megalex, and his short stories from the series Screaming Planet. Now, these things <laughs> are so weird. They make Into the Weird look like a toddler <laughs> trying to be weird. Well, most toddlers are weird, but you know they don't yeah. know they're weird. Kids but, are all weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're kids at heart. That's why we're so weird. But mm-hmm. these stories are crazy out the wazoo. The first one, Annabelle 5, is about a sex-obsessed cyborg secret agent <laughs> who's called Annabelle 5. Now, you know when you're reading Jodorowsky, you're gonna, there's going to be lots of explicit stuff. Now, this guy, this Annabelle 5 cyborg, he works for Edo, the European Defense Organization, and he usually battles cosmic terrorists and... Uh, it's a sci-fi comic. So there's a lots of sci-fi concepts in the far future. And um, he assembles a team <laughs> made up of the twin accountants of Edo, Martin and Martin, and other side <laughs> characters like Sir Typer Pinker and Enanita, his muse. And then they d- confront this dictator, the sci-fi dictator called Kung Lauti. And uh, this Kung Lauti has these nymphid clones these erotic nymphid clones that he employs against them. It's, it's, it's insane. So Annabelle five, oh boy. <laughs> fantastic story. And then Megalex goes even crazier. The second part of this collection here, uh, Megalex is a city planet where all the laws of nature are prohibited. You got to follow the laws of science and, and, and urban science here that they've initiated. So this tyrannical order that runs the city, they control everybody through genetic manipulation but the neighboring forest that still exists is sort of 
uh, alive and it's got a, a singular consciousness and it attacks the city. And so, but it also got humans who support this forest who it's sympathetic to. And those humans serve as its strike force, its terrorist force that sort of fights back against the city by infiltrating the city structures. And so the city itself, Megalex, it decides to fight back against this encroaching forest by allowing one of its tall 10-foot uh, clones, which is normally its police force, to escape and join up with the resistance uh, to sort of infiltrate, co sort of anti-infiltration techniques that it has to also infiltrate the forest in turn. It's crazy, man. It just gets nuts. And there's lots of ladies with huge busty breasts running around and weird sex rituals. You don't, you don't want to get into this too deeply, but since this is an all ages show, it gets really crazy. And then finally, we've got the Screaming Planet short stories who are all very individualistic and unique. Uh, when you read them. So it's fantastic little, uh, well, it's not a little hardcover. It's a thick, heavy tome, but it's not, it's probably like only 450 pages. Great stuff. Yodorowsky's <laughs> uh, library book one. Sounds crazy. Yeah. yeah it's really <laughs> crazy, man. And then secondly, I went to the shop and I picked up the third masterworks of ghost Rider. This is ghost Rider Ooh. masterworks volume three. And this nice. collects, yeah. The ghost Rider volume one numbers 21 to 35. This is Johnny Blaze getting into some really interesting adventures here. Nice. I like this, that, man. Yeah, this is also where Roger McKenzie takes over and uh, John, uh, sorry, Don Perlin and uh, Jim Shooter and then some Don Heck goodness in there too. So it's pretty, and the orb cool. makes a return. Also my, always my favorite character. This is Chronicles <laughs> some battles against the orb again. So I would recommend those two. But the Ghost Rider one's a little bit pricey. I got it for a massive discount. But, you know, these hardcovers, they sometimes, these masterworks, they go insane for insane yeah. prices. So if you can oh, find yeah. it, wait for it a little bit to, to drop, it, it should be better. But yeah, I got it for like 50 bucks and I think it retails for 75. So I was lucky there. And that's it for our recommendations of Ragador. Now I'm going to be uh, inserting a brief uh, Allies of Agamotto segment here, Billy, because we've got... Uh, mm -hmm. Bronze Age moniker to ascribe to one of our stalwart Patreons. And I'll do so right after this brief break where we'll play a promo. So stay with us, listeners. Don't go away. Hi, everybody. My name's Hub, and I host a show called Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week, we read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother Corey comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Corey? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole. Mm, it is. So good. It is. Paradise. Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt fish. <laughs> you have eaten none. And beaver's butt This Pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us.
Cowabunga. All right, this is our Allies of Agamotto segment where I wish to thank our patrons on patreon.com and all the listeners, you weirdos out there who left us an iTunes review. We've gotten a couple of new iTunes reviews. There are three more. And as we're one to do, we ascribe a Bronze Age superhero moniker to our five-star iTunes reviewers. The three new reviewers, be patient. I'll definitely ascribe some monikers to you come December. But right now, it's the time that I need to ascribe a second Bronze Age alter ego to one of our stalwart weirdos out there, a weird legionnaire himself, Scott Rowland. And why, you might ask, is this his second Bronze Age alter ego? Well... He gave us a five-star iTunes re- review way back when. I think it was in 2017 or 2018. And then I ascribed a superhero alter ego to him on episode seven of the show. And I think he was named the Slang Slinger back then. Because after all, on Twitter, he's known as Slangword Scott. So Scott, thanks again for also supporting us on Patreon.com. We really appreciate it, Into the Weird Thanks You. And we do that so by giving you your second superhero identity here. And this time I had to go a little bit far afield. The first one was more cosmic-minded. Uh, since you're a big Superman fan, I know, but you're also, of course, a fan of Marvel. So I went with the Marvel cosmic uh, angle, the Kree. You know, I brought some Shi'ar, Skrulls, Thanos in there, I remember. But this time around, we're going a little bit closer to... The Earth, Earthbound alter ego, I should say. I hope you like it. And it's also got some uh, South African flavor that I put in there. Well, I mean, why not? I'm a South African. <laughs> so here we go with Slangword Scott's second Bronze Age alter ego. To understand the super being that the man once known as Scott Rowland evolved into, we must cast our minds back to the mid-1980s when Scott, already an avid slang aficionado, comic collector and Superman fan, decided to write his master's thesis on Kryptonian colloquialisms found only in obscure issues featuring everyone's favorite Man of Steel. Hitting up his old pen pal Herman from South Africa and confirming that Herman did, in fact, have the hard-to-find Silver Age comics Scott craved that contained rare Kryptonian teen jargon employed by such young tearaways as Dev M, Crew L, Akvar, Black Dew, and the extremely scarce were-creature slang employed by the cursed Laron, Scott booked his ticket and hopped a plane to the picturesque Cape of Good Hope in sunny S.A. Pinpal Herman, though a gracious enough host, exasperated Scott by not taking time off from work to show his guest the sights. Though Scott spent many fruitful hours ensconced among Herman's long boxes, making headway on his thesis when not wiping his drool off the near-mint copies of Atomic Age Superboy Adventure comics, he nevertheless needed to stretch his legs every now and then to take his mind off the rigors of research. Herman, a planetary scientist specializing in meteorites, seemed to be constantly busy traipsing across the Kalahari Desert, 
finding and cataloging meteors which had impacted there in recent times. Scott insisted upon accompanying Herm on at least one of these expeditions into the wilds of Africa, entertaining mad thoughts fueled by his binge reading of wacky Silver Age DC issues, issues that had probably permanently warped his mind. These crazed thoughts led him to believe that some of these meteorites sought by Herman might just have the radioactive properties that could possibly imbue him, Scott Rowland, with the DC superpowers he had so craved ever since being handed his first Superman issue way back when he was still a diaper-wearing chubby bundle of baby fat. Unfortunately for Scott, he had forgotten that this was the Marvel 616 universe he dwelled in, not the DC universe he so fervently admired. His first trip with Herman into the Kalahari resulted in Scott receiving a vicious bite from a radioactive boom slang. Boom meaning tree, slang meaning snake in the local Afrikaans dialect. The ornery reptile had been irradiated by the meteorites scattered throughout the area and had since developed a taste for American tourists. Scott, however, survived the attack, possibly due to the thick skin he developed throughout numerous years of field research where slang insults had been hurled his way many a time. Having rushed his injured pen pal to a hospital, Herman and dozens of baffled South African doctors were witnesses to Scott's startling transformation. Having shed his human skin, Scott developed a diamond-hard, scaled hide that gave him invulnerability of a sort and resulted in frustrated nurses snapping syringe needles that ricocheted around his room, often embedding themselves in pillowcases, flesh and eyeballs. The radioactive poison of the snake roiled through Scott's blood, playing havoc with his DNA for a fortnight before his condition finally stabilized. Urged to remain under observation, his primary superhuman ability, the boom slang's ultimate gift, revealed itself late one night when Scott was gripped with an urgent need to vent his bladder. Extricating himself from the hospital sheets in a frenzy, knowing that he would never make it to the John in time, Scott suddenly found himself taking to the floor like a snake would, twisting his body to and fro, undulating across the ground in smooth, coiling movements, hands tapered to his sides. A burst of whip-like muscle spasms sent him hurtling from the room with such speed that there was an audible BOOM! Devastating eardrums and shattering every window in the hospital with a mad tinkling. He was flung into the bathroom at the end of the ward with a force that cracked tiles, traumatized onlookers and irrevocably ruined the plumbing. It was that night, as Scott was tortured by his rebellious bladder, that he discovered his primary superhuman ability. He could slither at the speed of sound. Still appearing human, albeit now sporting a forked tongue, 
glistening scaled skin and lidless ophidian eyes, he was discharged at his own insistence, turning a deaf ear to the begging of the medical researchers who wanted to study him further. Having completed his Kryptonian slang research and pining for home, he bid farewell to a guilt-ridden Herman somewhat coldly and returned to the States. Publishing his thesis to critical acclaim as a book, but finding no further avenue for his academic talents other than becoming a consultant to the Salkins on future Superman movie projects, Scott decided to make the best use of his newfound abilities. He would honor his favorite superhero, by becoming a heroic adventurer himself, of course. His first order of business was to fashion a primary-colored costume sporting a large diamond-scaled S motif as a chest emblem, replete with a cape and red snakeskin boots for added effect. Soon discarding the cape due to it constantly impeding his super slither by making him appear like a clumsily wriggling sleeping bag, he further developed his superhero brand by eventually settling on a sleek, tight-fitting black bodysuit with red wrist and boot patterns, a blue belt, and the final red and yellow S symbol, which many friends and Twitter mutuals suggested he change to BS to more accurately reflect his chosen superhero name, but which got rejected for obvious reasons. His career took off, and villains, such as the Red Heron, Rex Ruthless, the Snake Charmer, the Anti-Slang Society of Enunciators, Satan's Lawyer, the Children of Adam, and the vile crocodilians of the star cluster Lacerta soon learned to fear Scott's near-impenetrable skin, uncanny speed, his superhuman bite of imminent paralysis, and his sharp-forked tongue tipped with barbs of stinging slang. So give it up for the sinuously superlative snakeling, the slang-spouting serpent of steel, the ninth ophidian wonder of the world, the scaled speedster, the super seropsida now known to the Marvel Universe as Slangword Scott, a.k.a. The Boom Slang. And that's your Bronze Age Alter Ego. Second one there, Scott. I hope you liked it. <laughs> I'll make some tweaks to it if you didn't. But I'll send you the text via a DM pretty soon so you can pour over it and uh, criticize it later. <laughs> All right. Uh, for you American listeners out there, you might already know this. It's a famous Stephen King short story about the boom slang. And it, uh, there's actually a tree, a tree snake called the boom slang. Yeah, <laughs> I took the Dutch name, the Afrikaans name directly and just used American phonics to read it. <laughs> and Stephen King once made fun of this in a story of his, uh, how weird this name sounds to American readers and listeners. Boom slang. <laughs> now that's your name, Scott. Don't wear it out. All right, that's it. Now I want to thank our sponsors, the great metal band, Seven Kingdoms for again letting us use their classic song In the Walls as our intro and outro. Support them. Their albums are found everywhere where you can buy good albums and where you can find and download good music online. They're a fantastic band. They're touring a lot. 
they haven't put out a new CD in about four years, I'm sure, a new album, but hopefully they will soon. Uh, check them out. They're worth it. And thanks again to our Legion of the Weird, all you weirdos out there who support us on Twitter and interact with us. And of course, thanks to our patrons who support us on www.patreon.com forward slash into the weird, where we offer Dragons and Jive, the additional shows of House of Licensed Ideas, as well as Radio Free Hyboria. Thanks a lot to you, patrons. We really, really appreciate it. Much love to you. And then you can check out Billy and myself on Twitter as well. We're at Into Weird, and Billy's at Billy under, D underscore Licious. That's Billy D underscore Licious. And then also check out my personal Twitter feed at Dark Longbox and our other shows, which is A World on Fire, an All Star Squadron podcast, as well as Star Rocket Radio, an Infinity Inc. podcast. And those shows are also on Twitter at All Squadron and at Star Rocket Radio. Also check out Billy's Magazines and Monsters podcast where he recently interviewed Mr. Paul Hicks from Wedding for Doom and Dale for Flanger fame, also from the DC OCD podcast, of course. And they discussed an old Doom Patrol classic, My Greatest Adventure issue. And then most recently, Billy also had a War Comics-related episode with Luke Giaconetti, where they discussed Marvel's War is Hell. So please give those a listen, if you dare. Well, that wraps up another episode of Into the Weird. Billy, it was a lot of fun. As I mentioned before, great picks from your side there. I got to thank you for making my weekend reading very enjoyable <laughs> as I reread these titles. What are you mm-hmm. going to be up to now on this uh, Sunday evening? Uh, probably, you know, wrapping it up soon here. You know me, I'm an early, <laughs> an early riser, so... I'm not really too much for the late nights, except for on the weekends. Sometimes on the weekends, I get a little crazy and I'm up till, you know, one, two in the morning watching wild, crazy movies and reading comics and stuff like that. But otherwise, it's usually uh, I usually pack it in. I only got a couple days of work and then some uh, downtime, which is nice. Looking forward to that. You know exactly what you mean, man. Yeah, I'm going to always after our recordings together, I'm inspired to read more. So I'm going to be doing that since this is a Monday morning over here. But Mm-hmm. I'll let you know on Twitter what I've been up to. And I know you always do the same, but mm-hmm. listeners will be back soon. We'll leave you with a bit of a message. Stay weird, stay cool. And don't call any Teutonic gods to assist you in your nefarious <laughs> schemes. Be a good guy and just accept everyone and love everyone. And, uh, you know, don't try to kill the gypsies because they might just show up bandaged and proclaim <laughs> themselves Von Doom and uh, take you out in a spectacular fashion, much like poor Hitler suffered so just watch out (laughs) watch out for those gypsies (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) for real (laughs) alright that's us we're out of there take care listeners bye bye alright stay weird everybody bye bye